live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out Parlay Point's new comics blogs dropping this week. The T Public Store. What better time of year to go get some ODPH swag than the holiday season? That's why I say, Pat. That's a very good time. All of that and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition, though, we have to give our official review of the biggest movie in the land. Dare I say, pop culture phenomenon right now. Early contender for movie of the decade. I realize it's like a year into the decade, you know, two years if you want to get technical. But early contender. Well, for all the hype that has come out surrounding this movie, we finally were able to see Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. The trilogy film from Tom Holland reprising his role as Peter Parker and definitely putting an exclamation point on the home trilogy, as it's been defined as. Definitely hit the movie theaters pretty hard this week to cap off Marvel's calendar year. Pad, you got some stats you want to share with everybody? Yeah, so I mentioned last week I couldn't wait to see the box office numbers, and I knew they'd do well, but holy fucking shit. Uh, so this past weekend, Spider-Man was the number one film at domestic box offices, raking in a monstrous $260-plus million. Uh, and then uh, just as of Monday, uh, it also raked in another $37-plus million. Uh, so as of, this reco- as of this recording, it has uh, brought in $297.2 million to domestically $340.8 million internationally for a worldwide total of $638 million. All mind you, it has not opened in China yet. So there are even more numbers coming down the pike, but you also had uh, about nine records get set with this movie. Uh, so this film is the second biggest domestic opening weekend in history. Uh, it, so it brought in uh, over a hundred million dollars in its debut you know, so that's during the the, the COVID era and o- Omicron, you know, ramping up and everyone a little nervous about it. Uh, it is only behind Avengers Endgame in terms of all-time opening weekend uh, box office. That makes sense. So at the monster numbers, it is the third largest global debut ever. Uh, so like I mentioned, it reached over $600 million worldwide. It's the third highest in terms of worldwide behind Avengers Endgame, which made $1.2 billion worldwide. Uh, and then Infinity War, which did $640 million. Uh, it is the best start in the franchise. Uh, it has supplanted the 2007 film uh, Spider-Man 3 starring Tobey Maguire. That one brought in $151 million. Not adju- this, uh, according to an article from Variety.com, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, so this is the biggest opening weekend in history. Uh, you also have the second highest opening day ever. 
Uh, So article reads, No Way Home managed to rake in $121 million on Friday, cementing the film as the second largest single-day earner behind, what else, Avengers Endgame, which Mm -hmm. which brought in $157 million. Uh, It is the top global opening weekend for Sony Pictures. Uh, You know, so our article says, Along with the top Spider-Man entry, Spider-Man 3 also previously stood as the biggest uh, opening weekend for Sony with $381 million worldwide. As if it weren't already clear, audiences dig Holland's take on Queen's Finest Vigilante. It is the biggest December debut in history. Uh, The previous record holder was 2015's Star Wars The Force Awakens. That brought in $529 million globally. So, hey, you beat Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. It is the uh, biggest weekend for IMAX since 2019. Uh, They made, uh, IMAX had $36.2 million in global ticket sales just for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home alone. It is the biggest December opening of all time for AMC theaters, and it is the best post-reopening uh, domestic attendance for the folks at AMC theaters. Uh, it is the second biggest opening in history for Cinemark. You know, so those are just some of the records it's broken, which all deservedly so. Well, you have to think about it like this. Marvel has set the standard for the superhero movie genre. Yeah. I mean, they have the shared universe. They've spawned it. Obviously, more TV spinoffs than we could yeah. possibly fathom. Yeah. It's all working. It's all connected. And ever since they came back this year with WandaVision to kick everything off, there has been a heightened sense of anticipation mm-hmm. for everything coming out the MCU. Yeah. Because let's face it, Avengers Endgame was the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. I don't think anything's coming close to it. It was the perfect love letter to everybody who has seen the 20-plus films yep. and obviously spinoffs that we've had in the MCU. It was that movie that gave you all the feels and definitely put the official end chapter on the Infinity Saga. Mm-hmm. So now we are going into uncharted waters. Yeah, We don't really know what to expect out of this new phase. We do know about the films that are slated to come out. But how is this all going to tie in together is still up in the air. Yeah, And from what we've seen on Disney+, Plus, obviously the shows have definitely been hitting a home run with fans all over the place. From WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki... What if, which has been the biggest surprise of the year, mm-hmm. and as and Hawkeye too, which we'll get to later in the show. But for the movie slate too, it has definitely been well received at the box office. Oh yeah, Black Widow came back very strong. Shang Chi has been the surprise hit of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, and Eternals is Eternals. Eternals did well. Yeah, it's it's polarizing amongst fans. I know some people really wave that flag very hard for it. Sure. And some do not care for it. But it's okay because it's your opinion. Yeah. You're allowed to make that choice. But Spider-Man has been the universal hero that everybody has been waiting to see. And obviously, since Tom Holland has breathed new life into the character of Peter Parker, it has definitely taken off into new heights. We have definitely wiped away the whole Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire franchise. This is now Tom Holland's. And Mm -hmm. obviously, with the supporting cast of Zendaya as Mary Jane... Jacob Ballon as Ned Leeds, and John Favreau as Happy Hogan, and Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Like, they have formed this very cool nucleus yeah. to re-envision this historic comic hero and his supporting cast. And it's, and it's taken a supporting cast that isn't really from the comics. You know, it's not like any of their stories or any of their characteristics or mannerisms outside of maybe Aunt May in certain instances. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they've lifted sections and stories out of the comics and just translated it into the films. It's like they might have borrowed elements here and there, but like like, by and large, it feels mostly organic and just kind of like, hey, we're we're making this up. Yeah, and definitely it's resonating with the fans too. That I want to say in sense of comic terms, 
This is almost like when Ultimate Spider-Man came out. Yes. And it was a fresh take on a long history of Spider-Man yeah. that definitely fans have gravitated toward because it feels more modern. If yeah. It has a different, unique vibe to it. Tom Holland brings that to this Peter Parker, that we finally have a Peter Parker that's more teenage than his counterparts have been. Sure, sure. And definitely you can see how he's the hero that is the ultimate underdog but yet still refuses to give up under any circumstances. He tries doing the best he can, but obviously fails at a lot of things. So what you're saying is, and no disrespect to him, folks didn't relate to Tobey Maguire as a 30-year-old trying to play a high schooler? No, unless you were, of course, you know, sold on the whole Beverly Hills 90210 cast, you know, yeah. still being teens. I'm like, listen, I'm not, sh- listen, I'm not shitting on Toby Maguire by any way or means, but he was a 30 year old playing a high schooler. Yeah, I mean, it was what it was, but for the time, he's the one that opened the door to show that this movie franchise could work. Yeah, and that's the one great thing about his era, and obviously the Sam Raimi films. Yeah. They definitely opened the door, so fans that have been long waiting to see this character come on the big screen were finally greeted, and it was well-received. Spider-Man 2 is arguably the best one of the franchise for what mm-hmm. they did. Spider-Man 3, not so much. Yeah, Spider-Man 3, it's a thing. It it, it, it happened. Yeah. We, we can't say it didn't. Yeah. We just don't like talking about it. And then, obviously, when Andrew Garfield decided to try running with the character, met with very mixed results. Yeah. Was what it was. Yeah. So for Tom Holland to breathe new life into this character, it's truly been a win-win situation for Sony and Marvel because now we have the rise of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And now we have both Marvel and Sony working together on the same page. And I think the box office results have shown how this relationship can work yeah. if it's done well. And there's yeah. good communication and we're working together for the greater good of the Spider-Man character. Yeah. Proof is in the numbers, folks. Numbers don't lie. Oh, yeah. So we finally have the movie that everybody was hyped about. The trailers did not give too much away, but there were so many rumors about who was in, who was not, what we're going to see. How is this going to take off after the actions of Far From Home? Mm -hmm. We finally got our answers. So now it is time to give our review of Spider-Man No Way Home. You know the deal by now if you're a longtime listener, but if this is your first time listening, thank you for listening, first and foremost. But we give spoiler warnings. After the countdown, we deep dive. If you don't want to know about the movie, we tell you to pause the episode right here until after you watch it. Then we definitely want you to come back in, hear our takes, and interact with us and give us your takes. But that being said, after the countdown, we go deep diving into the latest film in the Spider-Man universe. All that said, Pad, in three, two, one, Pad. What did you think? This is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, and it is the greatest Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. I, I went in with you know some expectations, and they were high expectations. You know, I, I said on last week's show I fully anticipated seeing you know Tom ha- or Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield on screen, and you know, and I got that. You know, but I also figured we'd see Charlie Cox on screen. I'd said that for a while. Mm. We, we got that. I didn't think it could exceed my expectations. I figured it would meet my expectations, but oh my God, it exceeded my expectations. It was incredible. It delivered on what I was hoping it was going to. And that was, we were hearing about so many characters being involved. How is this all going to work? We knew that Benedict Cumberbatch was reprising his role as Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. They were borrowing from the Omit storyline, which is not my favorite Spider-Man story by any means. It's right behind the Clone Saga and my most hated Spider-Man stories of all time. 
to see how they were going to interpret this on screen. I was wrong about a couple of predictions I made. Sure. But at the end of the day, I was extremely happy with what I saw. I'm very happy with this movie. Is it my favorite Spider-Man movie of all time? No. But I'm not saying I hate this movie at all. Sure. Because I, I really did enjoy it. Sure. But my problems I have, and we'll get into it as we start breaking it down, is I felt that the beginning of the film, they were kind of dancing around a little bit from getting to the plot. Mm-hmm. Like there was a little too much time where had they shortened it up a bit, I think it would have really kicked in for me more. I mean, the only one issue I had with the beginning of the film was just the whole sequence of will he get into these colleges or not. That's my problem. Yeah. That, that's the one area that I was just like, all right, could have shortened this up. The rest of the beginning, though, I'm fine with. It's just... The whole, because, you know, we get back in the start of the film, it picks up right where the uh, last film left off, revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and the antics that ensue, you know, and and it then leads into Peter, you know, trying to lead a normal high school life while everyone knows he's Spider-Man. And, you know, he's approaching that age, you know, where he's getting ready for college, you know, and it's, and he's applying for colleges and this, that, and then it's like a whole montage sequence you know, of him getting letters in the mail and finding out he didn't get accepted to all of them. I'm like, all right, I get this, but this just feels so out of place. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. And I really thought that I took away from the film because for being a two-and-a-half-hour film, it was just really dragging to sit through the early part of it and just like, oh, woe is me. I can't get my friends in the college. Because where we jump in from the events of Far From Home – Obviously, he's been outed as Spider-Man by Jane Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. So Peter Parker is trying to save MJ. They're having a great sequence where they're running from the authorities and the and the uh, press. Yes, you know, deep diving, jumping through the subways. Like it, it's a crazy action sequence to kick in, and then everything kind of gets a little quieter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he obviously runs into Happy Hogan and Aunt May, who have now broken up, and he's trying to really just lay low and cover his tracks. Albeit though. He has now become public enemy number one because at this point in the movie, Mysterio is still considered this great hero. Yeah. That we always forget about with Jake Gyllenhaal's character. By some folks, not everybody. Right. So it's kind of this polarizing effect, which reflects the comics a lot, mm-hmm. too. Because we have to remember, in the Marvel comic universe, Spider-Man is 50-50 with people. Yeah. He's not exactly the most beloved hero for different reasons. Right. But... They and I liked how they echoed that in this film, though. I, I, feel, I feel like that's also true for like certain instances in real life, where like you look at something that happens to somebody, be they a public figure or just your average Joe. Mm-hmm. Like something will happen with that person that like makes the news and it makes the rounds and national news, what have you. And you will have folks on one side go, "Oh my gosh, they're they're uh, being misrepresented. They're this, they're that, you know." Or on the other side, they're like, "They're awful human beings. Like, why would you look up to them?" So, like, it's a reflection on the comics. It's also a reflection on real life. Yeah, no, that's one thing that I know Stanley was always interpreting, like, the real-life vibe yeah. to the superhero universe, but obviously, like, blowing it larger than oh, life. Yeah. So yeah. we have to kind of, you know, keep that in mind with his writings and obviously what he created here. And I liked how the movie de- definitely reflected it, even to the point where Spider-Man's supporting cast was arrested and yeah. interrogated yeah. Uh, for a little bit. By the Department of Damage Control? Yeah. Now, do you know who Damage Control is in the comics? 
Aren't they the ones that, like, whenever the superheroes show up wreck house, they're the ones that, like, clean up and try to put everything back together? Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they were the ones arresting Spider-Man, and it wasn't S.H.I.E.L.D. or somebody in that kind of instance. Weren't they trying to come up with a damage control show a while ago? Yeah, that was long rumored to be in yeah. the works, and it just never got out of production they're or de- pre-production. Yeah, and they're deliberately keeping S.H.I.E.L.D. very quiet these days. Yeah, which makes sense, obviously, with Secret Invasion coming. Yeah. That I don't... I know they don't want to mention too much about S.H.I.E.L.D. in the MCU right now. Well, there, there was a plot thread even introduced in the movie or continued in the movie that really didn't get followed through. But I think it's, it's just for the fans who don't watch everything religiously and don't watch everything the day it drops. It was like because, like, when Peter's getting interrogated, he's trying to explain what happened. He's like, listen, this is X, Y, and Z happened. Just ask Nick Fury. And the guy for the Department of Damage Control goes, Nick Fury has been off planet for the last year. And Peter's is like, wait, what? Yeah. So that's definitely a plot thread they want to just tease a little bit, with, yeah. which I liked. Because they didn't follow through on it throughout the rest of the movie, which is fine. Yeah. I wasn't mad about it. No, they had too much other stuff going on. And, but obviously, we did get one big surprise we were all waiting for. And obviously, the Marvel and Sony did tip their hat a little bit because of uh-huh. Hawkeye for the previous week. Because the lawyer that is coming in to defend Peter Parker is who pad Charlie motherfucking Cox. Yes, reprising his role as Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Yeah. So now we all can confirm that Daredevil is in the MCU. One, one of about six moments our theater erupted. Yes, which I, that's one thing, too, seeing this movie in a packed theater. Oh, yeah. Just the emotions going into it. Like, this had Endgame vibes, and rightfully so, because for what Endgame was as a love letter to the Avengers... This movie was a love letter to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So it definitely echoed a lot of the same sentiments. But to see that reaction when Charlie Cox came on stage, or came on screen rather, you definitely heard the crowd erupt and definitely had the cool moment too where somebody threw a brick through the window and he caught it without looking. Backhanded. Backhanded. And then he's just, and somebody's like, how did you do that? He's like, eh. I'm a good lawyer. I'm a good lawyer. That, that that was a brilliant performance from Charlie Cox and just shows why he is the perfect, you know, daredevil Matthew Murdoch. Because it's been, I don't know how many years since he last was in the role. A couple of years, like at least three, four years now, whatever. 2018, I want to say. You know, so it's been a couple of years now. You know, probably 2017 since he filmed it. Yeah. You know, so it's it's been a hot minute. But he he slipped back into that role so effortlessly and perfectly that like I'd be understanding if like he didn't quite feel the way he did in the Netflix movies or TV show because it's been a while and he's got to get back into it. But no, dude looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Yeah, I'm super excited whenever the project's coming. And mark my words, we are going to get a new Daredevil show at some point. Yeah, they're not going to sit on that one. No, definitely not. If not a movie, it's going to be a show. And mark my words, we'll see it sooner than later. I digress. We get into the story, though, and basically Peter's world has fallen down around him. That The biggest plot thread which was causing everything was like we touched upon. Mm-hmm. His friends could not get into MIT. He was trying to get into college, too. It wasn't happening because of the revelation about he was Spider-Man. Stark Industries is caught in the crossfire because they gave Peter all his tech for the mm-hmm. Spider-Man suit. So while uh, Murdoch gets you know Peter and his friends off, the, the crosshairs are still in a little bit on... Aunt May because negligence and child endangerment, yeah. you know, because, hey, you're in charge of this kid and look at what happened. You, by legal terms, committed child endangerment. And then Happy Hogan's in the in the crosshairs because, hey, you're a representative for Stark Industries and you gave him all of this. Yes. So during this entire time, Peter's world is falling apart, which he decides that, well, maybe I can do something about this. And he goes and contacts an old work buddy. Mm hmm. 
And that is one, who, Pad? Doctor Strange. Yes, Benedict Cumberbatch reprising his role. And we find out that, well, things are not exactly as we left them the last time we saw the good doctor. Mm-hmm. Wong is now the new Sorcerer Supreme. On a technicality. Yes, but it still works. So that was very cool to see Benedict Wong back in the role. Yep. And we do see that he is now going away to take care of some business. And albeit we have Doctor Strange acting very funny. Now, mm-hmm. like for me, I did I this was what was tipping me off about Mephisto possibly being him. Because sure. If you read the comic, you do know that Mephisto is the one that does the spell to wipe away everybody's memory mm-hmm. of Peter Parker. And he does it for the price of him and MJ's marriage and love. Yep. It's a weird story. It is what it is. Soul for a soul. Yeah, so I like I understand the aspect of it, but this is where I thought Doctor Strange was acting very weird because he was just very happy well, to, to oblige. It was another instance of Marvel misleading us with the trailer mm-hmm. because you think back. The one instance I can remember off the top of my head was the Infinity War trailer, where there's the one, and you can dig this up on the it's still on the internet where you can find the one shot of Wakanda where the heroes are running through the forest and you've got, you know, you've got Cap and Iron Man and all these Avengers running through the forest and Hulk and that never happened. Yeah. You know, this entire sequence, as it was shown in multiple trailers, is not how it played out in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because Cumberbatch and, and, and Doctor Strange, it's still mostly the same. You know, he wants to do this. Wong isn't so sure. But in the trailer, Wong goes, don't cast that spell. And, and I'm thinking the trailer, Strange went, okay, I won't, and then wink. Not at all how it happened in the movie, because Wong goes, fine, just don't let me know about it. Plausible deniability. He goes, all right, we'll do. Yeah, so it was kind of a little different. Like I said, he just felt like like happy in it a little bit, but it, it just didn't feel like Doctor Strange so much. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the vibe I got from it. But also, he got very serious, too, when they started doing the spell. So like right. he, he quickly went from that scene to go do it. Like you talked about, they did mislead everybody with the wink because, like, the minute they did that, I'm like, that's got to be Mephisto. Yeah. That's got to be. I mean, I also kind of just took it to be because he's not Sorcerer Supreme anymore, he doesn't really have all that much to do these days. That, like, he's just kind of like, he's essentially like a secretary. Yeah. You know, for, for Wong. So, like, hey, I get to finally do something other than just stand here, clean house, and make sure the place doesn't fall around the, the foundations. You know, so he's like, sweet, I get to do something. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting to see how that played out. But then he comes up with the idea about the spell to make people forget. Uh-huh. And then this is where it gets kind of interesting because this is where Peter Parker is, you know, chomping at the bit because he's like, I've caused all my friends these problems. I've caused Aunt May this problem. Let's fix it and do it this way. But Doctor Strange is telling him straight up front, if you do this, people are going to forget who you are. And, yeah. and during the casting of the spell... Peter keeps saying, no, 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 you got to change it. MJ can't forget me. You know, uh, Ned can't forget me. He's my best friend. MA can't forget me. Because it's literally not just, oh, people will forget your Spider-Man. Like, no, it's if they're connected to you at all, they will forget. Right. So dur- during this, you know, incantation of the spell, everything gets kind of tore apart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go the way it's supposed to. Yep. But Doctor Strange allegedly at this point has it under control, and Peter leaves. Yeah. So in theory... This didn't happen. We don't have anything to worry about. You know, well, the, the, yeah, he doesn't have a word to think about. Oh, sorry, can't really do anything for you in college. And then Strange goes, "Oh, did you try calling the university and appealing? Wait, you can do that. You, wait, you're telling." So, and Strange goes, "Wait, you're telling me 
that you didn't get into college and the first thing you did wasn't call the university and appeal. You came to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then it hard cuts to Peter outside the Sanctum Sanctorium and the door getting slammed in his face. Yeah. Like I say, the demeanor that Strange was during this was kind of interesting. Then he definitely gets down to business, though, the minute after Peter reveals that he never called the university. Well, I think it's frustrating for Strange just because it's a dangerous spell. It's dim, It's tampering with dark magic and dark dimension and all that, that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a risk to the world that, like, he doesn't say it, but I think he we know that he knows the implications of, like, if this spell goes wrong, what could happen? And he's like, wait, you're telling me I put the world and our universe at risk for you to go to college... And you didn't even try option B yet. Yeah. You just jumped to the nuclear option. Yeah, which, I mean, that's typical Peter Parker, though. Yeah. So, I mean, it made sense. Like, I had no problem with that sequence of events. No, yeah. Because after this, then he decides to go track down an administrator at MIT to try talking his friends and get, to get in. Yep. But when he goes to talk to the administrator, well... <laughs> Things go a little sideways. Yes, because the spell that every thought was contained... Well, there was a couple loopholes here Because he's on the bridge from the trailers, which if you're watching in theaters, you go, oh, shit, I know what's about to happen. Yeah. And we do see that Otto Octavius makes his grand appearance, yeah. Alfred Molina reprising his role from Spider-Man 2, and is attacking Peter on the bridge. And one thing that he keeps noticing is this is not his Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. He does mention that a couple times. That when he finally gets Peter pinned, he he understands that something's not right. Yeah, well, even before he pins Peter, he's like, "Oh, you got an upgrade." But like, it's it's almost like taking somebody like from the Spider-Man Two, you know, early two thousands, and pulling that person into modern times. They'd be confused as all fuck. Like, wait a minute, you weren't like this when I last saw you five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. How did this happen? Yeah, but there is a cool sequence though. I will say with the Iron Spider suit that Peter does have, it's with yeah. the nanotech. Yeah. He winds up taking control of Otto's octopus arms. Yeah, Otto takes the not being any idiot takes the nanotech, puts them onto his uh, octopus arms, and I'm like, at that point, I'm in the suit going, "Oh shit!" Yeah, like that's not good. But then not realizing that, oh hey, Peter can control all that. Yeah, that's convenient. So it was kind of a, a very cool twist to see with the Iron Spider suit involved. But not everything goes exactly as well planned because we do get our. Next villain to make his grand entrance. Uh-huh. We heard the laugh. We saw, saw the pumpkin bomb. Saw the pumpkin bomb. And who is that, Pad? Uh, that is the Green Goblin, a.k.a. Norman Osborn, a.k.a. Willem Dafoe. Yes. Doing his own stunts. Doing his own stunts, too, which that was blowing my mind. But he came in, definitely made his appearance. And then during this time, Doctor Strange does pick up what's going on. Yeah. Somehow, some way, and gets everybody back into the sanctorium. Yep. And Otto is locked in the basement. Yep. And he does realize that he's not alone. Yep. Because who's next to him? Uh, what What is it? It's uh, Kirk Connors. Kirk Connors. Yeah, it's the lizard. The lizard's already there. Yes. And Strange is saying, well, you know, the spell that we had contained. Well, <laughs> we thought was contained. It's not entirely contained. It's not entirely because it decided to rip through the fabric of time. Uh-huh. And anybody who knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Is con- like, You remember how the spell was supposed to make people forget? Peter Parker was Spider-Man. It did the opposite. It brought people to us who know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yes. So now the dilemma is on the hand that you have all these misplaced toys. Yeah. And you need to find them back in the toy box because... Misplaced toys on an island of New York. Hey, island of misfit toys. Exactly. It, it, it made perfect sense to me. So Peter is given the job to track everybody down. He recruits Ned and MJ to get involved. They do go after one 
noteworthy villain immediately who's messing around with some electricity. Well, they they don't intend to go for him. They intend they start. You know, uh, what is it from the trailer? Strange tells him to Scooby-Doo this shit. Yeah. You know, so they start searching through social media to find stuff. And they end up finding, you know, about break-ins or an attempted break-in at a military complex. And that's when uh, Doc Ock chimes in, oh, that's probably Norman. You Mm -hmm. know, they go through the whole thing. That doesn't make any sense why he's here. He's supposed to be dead. Time travel. Hey, it's confusing. Right. You know, so he goes, oh, it's, you know, it's probably Norman. Here's what Norman was in my, in my universe. You know, he's military contractor. He's attacking military base. That would make sense. So while Peter's on his way there with, you know, his iPhone duct taped to the front of his suit. So, yeah. So that MJ and MJ and Ned could help him out. Boy, that was weird. Uh, you know, they send him. He's on his way. That's when the electricity starts getting weird. Yeah, because mm-hmm. immediately they try tracking somebody down, and they're, and they're picking up the scent. They immediately send Peter to go after him. But, yeah, it's not who we expect to see at first. No. We do see, though, a returning villain, though, one Max Dillon. A.K.A. Jamie Foxx. Yes, reprising his role as Electro. Mm-hmm. And there is a very cool battle that's going on. And But also, he's not alone. No. Because there's another villain who makes his appearance. Sandman. Yes, which I was I was actually happily surprised yeah. to see him back in the role. Because uh, obviously, Spider-Man 3, you know where we stand on that. That's not one of our favorite films, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. But nevertheless, we do see Thomas Hayden Church reprising his role. Mm-hmm. Took me a second to remember the name. It's so many, char- it's so many actors involved in this film. It's just like, wow, overwhelming at little times. A little bit. But we do see that Peter does try making some headway with Sandman and saying, this is what's going on. I can try helping you get back to your timelines. Everybody is realizing something's going on. Yep. Eventually, they wind up getting everybody back almost to the same ev- time. Almost everybody. No, because they get uh, Lizard's there, Akka's there, Electro's there, Sandman's there. There's a tree there as well. Yes. But the one missing is... Defoe, you know, Osborne. And Osborne has come to his Osborne senses, and the goblin is not in control. And uh, he goes to find a certain person because he knows uh, Peter Parker, Spider Man. And if he knows to get, you know, he needs Peter Parker, he needs Spider Man's help, he knows to find his Aunt May. And he finds his Aunt May at the organization she runs, Beast. Yes. And she goes, Aunt May calls him, Peter, and says, Hey, there's somebody here to see you. And he goes, and he. He's looking for Spider-Man, and instantly Peter knows, ah, shit, this ain't good. And walks in, and, hey, there's Norman Osborn under a blanket eating soup from his Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So as this plan is going on, Peter is saying, well, you know what? When we send you back to your worlds, you're going to die because apparently that's the fate that you are going to have when encountering Spider-Man. Yeah, because for what it appears, they all got pulled out of their timelines Right at the moment they were about to die. Yeah, which, you know, which was an odd time to pull them out, but hey, movie. Yeah, I know. I just chalked it up as reasons, but yeah. I was like, that is a very awkward time to be yanking everybody out. Yeah. Like, what is really going on with this spell? Because that's going to come into factor a little later, too. But we do see that Peter is trying to do the noble thing and cure everybody. He winds up bringing everybody back to Happy Hogan's apartment, mm-hmm. and it does have a makeshift laboratory in there. Yeah. Because, well, it's Tony Stark 
reasons. Yeah, you had Peter fight Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is sweet. Got them all. Send them all back. And he's like, no, we can't do it. We have to help them. No, we have to send them all back because it's going to tear the, our universe apart. There's a sick fight in the mirror dimension. Yeah, I forgot about that there for a, a second. There's a sick fight. I thought, you know, where they're fighting, they end up fighting over the Grand Canyon. Peter go, figures out, oh, wait, this isn't magic. This is geometry. Mm-hmm. Let me use my brain, which I know is something that this run of the Spider-Man character hasn't been done all that much is peter and his brains yeah so that was cool he locks uh strange in the mirror dimension by suspending him in midair and taking his little hand device whatever the hell it is that lets him open portals yes and then he goes all right hey we're you know what if i send you all back immediately you're gonna die let me try fixing that and sending you back so that you don't die well it's a noble thing that you expect from like i say this fits peter to the letter from the comics so as Peter is going through and working to fix everybody, he does wind up saving Norman, or not Norman, but Otto Octavius. Yeah. He does cure him from the voices of his possessed Octo arms. It's probably the easiest one to fix in all honesty. Well, you would think about it, too. And as he's going through and trying to work with everybody, obviously Max Dillon is having his reservations. Yeah, he felt the power that was in the in the world he was in. He's like, this ain't the power I'm used to. This is greater. I love this. I don't want to lose my power. I don't want to leave. Yes. Jamie Foxx reprising his role, too. How amazing was he in this? He was incredible. He was stealing some scenes left and right because he was just breaking character a little bit and just doing jokes like Jamie Foxx. Uh-huh. Which I am perfectly fine with. Yeah. Because it did give a nice counterbalance to the seriousness of everybody else that was involved. Yeah. And as they're going through, this is when Goblin Norman takes over. Yeah. And, yep. and basically is talking reason into the other villains and saying, look, we're in a whole nother world. We're going to die, right? You can't trust him. You can't trust him. Why not take this world over? We've seen just a fraction of what it can be. Let's do this. Uh-huh. And then sure enough, this is when all hell breaks loose. Yep. And this is when the villains make their attack. You see Norman really become the goblin, even yeah. even without the mask, which I know some people online were complaining about. Eh. I didn't care because, you know what, he had the hood on, he had the, the color scheme going yeah. on the glider. Yeah. Everything made sense as they're blowing up the building. With J. Jonah Jameson and the Daily Bugle outside, you know, because one of his lackeys, cronies, was following the van that they were in. You know, and tipped off Jameson that they were there. So, of course, when shit's hitting the fan, uh, Jameson is there. Yes, and obviously the Daily Bugle is more like TMZ in this universe iteration. Accurate. We have to really keep that in mind that that's how Jonah Jameson's getting by on the power of the net, not the power of the press. But he has now got a front row seat to the carnage that is breaking out. Uh-huh. The building is obviously getting decimated because Norman Osborn is in full goblin mode. I hate to say it, Happy Hogan's probably going to lose his security deposit. Oh, my God, yeah. Because he's not there at the time because he's still being detained by the authorities. Yeah. Doctor Strange isn't there. He is on his way back, though, and he's got, you know, like essentially like a ring door, door camera on the front of his apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to call Peter while shit is hitting the fan left, right, and center. And he goes, hey, Peter, it's uh, Happy who did you bring into my apartment and why is there, you know, a man, a man made out of sand mm-hmm. coming through? He better not be making a mess. Like, call me back. Yes. But during this battle, though, Aunt May is still cro- caught in the crossfire. Yeah. And she does get hit mm-hmm. with the goblin glider. Yeah. It had very similar instances to Spider-Man 1 when Norman got hit with his own glider. Yeah. So I figured something might be up. Uh-huh. Well, after... The villains make their great escape. Aunt May is mortally injured. Well, and this is after 
she says the lot, you know, to Peter, you know, Peter's feeling guilty about everything and all it's my fault. All these guys came through and yada. And I hadn't realized it until she said it, that we hadn't heard the line. Yeah. She, you know, she, you know, obviously uncle Ben isn't there, but she says to Peter with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, she said the line. We haven't had that yet. And then she gets mortally wounded, and I'm like, fuck, I forgot. Any, anytime somebody says that line, they die. Yeah, but it was very interesting because in this iteration of Spider-Man, we have never seen Uncle Ben. Presumably he died. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't be motivated to do what he does. Right. But in this universe, it appears he didn't say that. He never told Peter that line, which is, uh, that's fine. No, that was a cool twist. I had no yeah. issue. I had no issue with that. And my God, the scene between Tom Holland and Marissa Tomei in this. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I fucking cried. Yeah, I I was shedding some tears and I was crying because the br- brilliant score by Michael Giacchino. Yeah, you know, which he's entering my top five film composers list here. You know, but he did a fucking masterful job. And then between Tom Holland and Marissa Tomei acting their asses off for this scene. Yeah, tearjerker. Yeah, no, I was I did not cry, but I was getting I was started feeling it though. I was like, damn, this is a really great scene. Yeah. And you could just show the acting was going on for this one. So as Peter is now knocked down and obviously lost everything mm-hmm. with the loss of Aunt May, his friends though are still trying to save the day. They're at Ned's house. Yes, which Ned still has the brass knuckles. It's what it looked like. That's what it looks like. Yeah, that, that creates the portals that uh-huh. people could come through. He's he asked, and we got a note. He asked Doctor Strange earlier in the movie when he met Doctor Strange, like if there was a way to test him because he thinks he might have be able to use magic because he's felt tingling in his fingers. And Strange went. No, that doesn't mean you should have you have magic. That means you need to go to a doctor and get it checked out. Yeah, so this has been kind of like a running joke that's going on, but maybe Ned does have some powers. There might be something to it. Because he does interact with a portal, because they basically are trying to cast a spell to find Peter Parker. Show us Peter Parker. Bring Peter Parker to us. And they do open a portal. Yeah. But it's not the Peter Parker we all know. Yeah, it's the wrong Peter. No, it's definitely not Tom Holland. Nope. It's Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Which the the movie theater erupted where we were at. Uh-huh. Big time. Oh, yeah. And he came in, and there's a very cool back and forth about, like, prove your Spider-Man. And he's like, really? He's hanging from the ceiling with one hand. And, and MJ goes, that's not enough. Crawl across the ceiling. And, and Andrew looks at her and goes, seriously? Like, I'm hanging from the ceiling with one hand on my fingertips. That's not enough? Yeah. And then the mother comes in, or the grandmother comes in for Ned and goes... And she speaks in in, in you know another language, and, and uh, Ned translates and goes, uh, she wants to know if you can clean up the cobwebs in the corner. He goes, what? oh, yeah, sure. And he just hops up on the ceiling, crawls across the ceiling, and takes the cobwebs out of the corner, helping her and confirming he is, in fact, Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. Yeah, I had no problem with this. That was a very cool scene. But they don't stop there. No. They do try casting another spell to go find Peter, and they all right, wrong, all right, wrong Peter. Try again. Yeah, so they try again, and we do see a gentleman in street clothes, looking like a youth pastor. Yep. And who is that, Pat? Toby fucking McGuire. Yes. Ah, bringing him into the light. So everybody now knows the rumors are true. It is the Spider Verse is all together. Yep. the The original three Spider Men from the movie franchises are all together. And it's definitely a cool back and forth, and basically, and and yeah, I mean, this was really where the heart and soul of the movie really kicked in. Because oh my god, because it was very cool to see the villains get together, but to see all three Spider-Men get there 
and are exchanging basically war stories. Yeah, well, and also using the theme songs from the previous two yes. franchises because you might not pick up on it. I missed hearing the one. I didn't hear the one for uh, Andrew Garfield's uh, Amazing Spider-Man film, but there was listed in the credits of the movie when you get to the end and the songs played in there. The James Horner did the music for that film, and it was Young Peter theme composed by James Horner. So that was in there. And then also the film or the, the theme for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man from the Raimi films was very clearly played in that film several times, and I got goosebumps. It wasn't my theme, though. It wasn't Nickelback with Saliva Hero. The only, I will say, the only thing I feel like they missed out on, you know, it was great hearing the Andrew Garfield, you know, hearing little elements of the Andrew Garfield theme. It was fucking goosebumps to hear the Tobey Maguire theme again. Missed opportunity to not do the da-na-na-na-na theme. I would have marked out. Oh, my God. Because I, I was looking up videos on YouTube, and people were, like, making their own mashups of the three film, uh, three themes. And somebody put that one in there amidst the three, and I'm like, oh, my God, they should have put that theme in the movie. If they did the Ramones version of that, I would have lost my shit. I'm dead-ass serious. I would have probably jumped out of my seat and marked out. Because there's, there's a couple of scenes we'll get to that they could have easily put in the da na na da na na because there, now that we have the other two Spider-Men involved, MJ and Ned are tracking down our Peter. They get to their secret hiding spot. Yeah, what is it? Toby goes, is there a place he would go just to kind of get away from the world, a place that's special to him? Mm-hmm. And I think everyone in the theater is going, oh, top of the school. Yeah. And sure enough, they go there, and this is where Peter is you know, saying about the whole deal with Aunt May, and then everybody gives their Uncle Ben stories. Yeah, because he, he's like, you don't know how I feel. And I'm like, oh. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And it's a very cool moment, too, like I say, because now Peter realizes, obviously, he's not alone in this. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's different timelines, but he understands that it's almost his destiny that he has to go through this. Yeah, and and I got to say, Andrew and Toby's introductions to Tom were fucking brilliant and perfect because they very easily just could have walked out of the shadows Mm -hmm. and be like, you know, hi. But no, they're hanging from the top of the building, you know, with one foot and one hand attached, silhouetted by the moonlight. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's an amazing shot. Yeah. No, they the cinematography for this entire sequence was uh, fantastic. They could have not have done it any better. No. I mean, literally, they wind up giving the inspirational speech to Peter. And this is where he goes through a lot of times because when Peter gets down on himself, he has to find it within himself to pick himself back up, even when the odds are all against him. He finds ways to do this. And now to hear this voice coming from other Spider-Men, he gets more wound up. And he's like, okay, we're going to finish the mission we started. They go to start creating cures for the villains that they're facing. This is where we get the pointing at each other, too. Yeah, so, one of several. Yeah, so we they did accommodate the, the internet meme. Yeah, so they did. I was happy with this, had yeah. no issue. And then they come up to the play where Tom Holland's Peter Parker calls out every villain and basically has uh-huh. a has a one on one with J. Jonah Jameson, which Call, calls into the J. Jonah Jameson show. Yep, and basically says, "I'll be at the Statue of Liberty. You want some? Come get some." Which they're putting a, a Captain America shield on for some reason. Well, you got to remember too, in this world, Captain America is no longer there. Oh, I know. You know, there's Steve Rogers. Oh, I know because I I'm not sure what the time frame was of when Sam Wilson took the shield mantle. I think it's already happened by this point. Yeah, I want to say I think it's happened, but I think they gave it in honor of Steve Rogers. I mean, I can understand them putting a statue someplace in New York, but, like, putting a shield full-blown on the Statue of Liberty just seems odd. 
Well, definitely, but you know, it's comics. Like yeah, I, yeah. You, you have to remember too, Steve Rogers is now known throughout the world that he sacrificed himself to save everybody. So I could see them doing the homage yeah. to that to you know, to him there. But that's where they set up for the final battle. Everybody's having their suits on too, which was a cool sequence to see Toby Maguire suit up. See Toby Maguire suit up again, his organic, organically made uh, Webs. webbing gets brought up and they go, oh my God, how do you do that? And he's like, listen, I don't know. It just kind of happens. And it was, was it Andrew or Tom brings up the uh, potential issue of him getting uh, backed up and clogged up? It was Andrew. Uh, you know, Andrew goes, do you ever get backed up, clogged up with the webs? No, yeah, it, it's happened once or twice, which had the entire theater in, in stitches. Oh, yeah. And then they're talking about the different villains they faced. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was very telling that Tobey Maguire mentioned Venom. Mm-hmm. He did not shy away from that. He, he mentioned I fought a uh, – because Andrew there tells who he's faced. The Rhino. He, he's like, oh, I faced Rhino. And, you know, uh, what is it? Tom mentions he's fought a green or a purple alien in space. Mm-hmm. And and Toby says, well, I fought an, uh, an alien, but not in space. Yeah. So they definitely alluded to that, too. Yep. There was a very cool nod to uh, Miles Morales. Yeah. That, was, one that, that, that got was, brought up. Yeah, that was made in the sequence, too. So uh, I know they're foreshadowing him coming to the MCU franchise, which about damn time. So super excited to see him in future iterations of Spider-Man. But they do have the big battle go on here, and it definitely lives up to the hype. Oh, yeah. They definitely have the moments you see in the trailers, you yep. know, the three of them jumping in to fight the other Sinister mm-hmm. Six that you're seeing. And it's a very cool back-and-forth sequence. that they, they gave enough time to everybody. Like, I don't yeah. think anybody was overshadowed. No. And to see the different Spider-Man fight the different villains of you know that they're not used to, yeah. I thought was very cool. I will say the standout moment for me, though, was Max Dillon's new costume. That was awesome. Because every time that he generated electricity, I don't know if you picked up, around his face, it was yeah. the electric star. It was, that it was, the old, it was the old costume. Yeah. yeah, which I was like, that's a very cool twist going yeah. on. No, the whole fight sequence was awesome because, you know, the whole plan is they developed ways to, fit, to fix the other villains who haven't, outside of Octavius, who haven't been fixed yet. You know, so they come up with those. They plan them around. Like, All right, you know, we got to get these to the right people, this, that, and the other. And as they're starting off the fight, outside of Tom, Andrew and, and Toby have never fought as a part of a team. So they're stumbling over each other a little bit. And they, it even gets brought up again. They're arguing who who's Spider-Man 1, who's Spider-Man 2, who's Spider-Man 3, which was funny. Mm-hmm. They do the, the meme point again, which was even more funny. And then they're like, hey, and Tom goes, listen. I'm a part of this group, you know, I don't know if any of you are part of a group, but I was a part of this group called the Avengers. And, and Andrew Garfield goes, the Avengers, who are they? And I think Toby went, are they like a rock group of some sort? Yeah. Which was absolutely funny. He's like, no, listen, just coordinate, follow my lead, and we'll get through this. And all of a sudden, then you get the awesome shot of the three of them swinging through the air around the Statue of Liberty, and then they all, moment I wanted to see, they all land doing Spider-Man poses. Yes. Ah! It was such a fan service moment, man. It was <laughs> it was perfect. It was damn near perfect. Yeah, it was. And as you see, they're starting to pick off all the Sinister Six. You see, yep. you know, Kirk Connors is taken out as the lizard. Then yep. Sandman's taken out. Yep. And then we finally see they do get some help against Electro. Yeah. From Doc Ock. Yep. Who is very happy to be cured. I don't. I think he was the. He was kind of the surprise of the bunch. Yeah. Well, and there was a nice moment too between him and Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's been years in Tobey Maguire's universe since he's seen you know Doc Ock, and Doc Ock is now understanding what's going on and and understanding like, oh, this is a Peter from the future after I die. 
my and he says my boy look how you've grown and i'm like oh this is nice yeah, no, it was a very cool moment. Doctor Strange finally makes it to the party. He escapes the mirror dimension. Which he's been suspended over the Great Grand Canyon for 12 hours. Yes. Boy, that's fun. Yeah, and he definitely comes there. But as before he can fix everything, Norman Osborn breaks what was holding this, the original broken spell. Well, yeah, because Strange comes in, and he's ready to hit the reset button and send them all back. Like, mm-hmm. fuck you. I've been over the Grand Canyon for, in the mirror dimension for 12 hours. I'm ready to be done with this shit yeah and but ned and mj stop him go no look his plan is working and he and there's this you know the camera starts cutting and showing uh you know electro sitting there without his electricity it's showing kurt connor's not as the lizard and he's like oh maybe maybe you're right yeah so it's very cool to see norman osborne definitely comes in you know swinging for the fences trying to kill everybody yep. they do have the mj a la gwen stacy fall yeah. which andrew garfield finally gets to save the day yeah because he mentioned in the and well that was one of his regrets was that you know he didn't have an mj he had a gwen i wasn't able to every despite all my powers and all my abilities i wasn't able to save her and it haunted me you know it took me to a dark place you know after it happened Mm-hmm. So to see him finally get that redemption that, you know, hey, you weren't able to save Gwen, but you were able to save MJ. Awesome to see. No, oh, yeah, definitely a fan service moment again, too. And then we do see that Peter Parker, Tom Holland is so enraged because obviously Aunt May has died that he basically tries to kill William Defoe's Green Goblin. He wants to whoop his ass. Yeah, which, I mean, this falls in line to everything you've seen in the comics, too. Even when they did the original storyline that led to Omit, where Aunt mm-hmm. May was shot by the kingpin who yeah. called the hit out. Yeah. And Peter Parker had to don the black suit to go after him. And he nearly beat him to death in prison. And he wanted to, he let him live just so he goes, now you have to know that I am the one that did this to you. And I can do this to you at any time I want. <laughs> it's a badass comic. Like how they did that was awesome. And then they went to admit and then everything went downhill from there. But uh, you know, I digress from that. But at this moment, though, you do see that Tom Holland is definitely fighting and doing what he can do, and it's a great standoff that they're having, and Tobey Maguire has to be the one of the voice of reason to try stopping him. Like, this isn't who you are. Yeah. And then suddenly, which I, I, I'm i actually disappointed in this, though. Okay. He does get stabbed by Norman. Yeah. I thought they should have killed him. I'm, see, I'm, fine. I'm all right. Like, I'm, I'm, like I'm okay that Tobey Maguire survived it, but okay. I was like, oh, that would have been all bonkers if they actually did that because i'm glad they didn't because then it's like how do you rectify that in the timeline like that would have been cause for another storyline there's already we'll get into this there's already 10 fucking timelines spawned off from this oh i i grant you but still i thought we don't we don't need an 11th they would they would have been oh we can never have enough it's all time travel it's all it's all right i'll I'll get into it but there's 10 fucking timelines spawned off of this movie yeah but we do see that obviously toby mcguire does survive the attack peter parker does wind up stopping uh, Norman, they do inject him with yep. you know the cure that they have. Yep. And then basically, Peter Parker realizes we're talking with Doctor Strange, like, okay, how do we fix things? Well, because he goes and talks. Doctor Strange is at the top of the Statue of Liberty. The sky is tearing itself apart, mm-hmm. you know, with purple light coming through. And there's and I can't wait for this to come out on streaming and then Blu-ray and pause at this sequence because I'm real interested to see if we can f- see who, because it was quick and you couldn't, I thought I saw Scorpion at one point maybe. In, oh in, yeah, in you sky. saw you saw most of the rogues gallery. Yeah, so I can't wait to see, maybe there may be some folks from the other Spider-Man movies that, you know, uh-huh. weren't featured in the movie, got a little cameo in the scene, you know, 
they're all ready to come through. And he's like, listen, it's, you know, you've got more people who know Peter Parker is Spider-Man coming through. And as we saw in the trailer, I can't hold them back. So he goes, oh, maybe what if the only option to stop them is to do the original spell as we planned? Yeah. You know, no add-ons, no additions, no, you know, no Ned and MJ. Remember who I am. Everybody forgets Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah. And Strange reluctantly agrees. Yeah. And they wind up doing the spell. Everybody now forgets who Peter Parker is. Well, they forget he's Spider-Man. Well, he's Spider-Man. But yeah. but his his close supporting cast has no memory of him. Yep. Aunt May is still gone, but Happy Hogan doesn't even remember who he is. Yep. He still is remembered as being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So the world does know he was an Avenger. Yep. He was involved in that world, but they don't know who is the man behind the mask. Yeah, like the, and even the Avengers will know... Spider-Man was involved in, you know, Infinity War and the events there and the events of Endgame, you know, and the events of Civil War. They just won't remember that it's this scrawny kid from Queens. Yeah. So as they've kind of fast forward when the fallout happens, MJ and Ned are still going to college. Yep, they got into MIT. Yep. Peter goes and even he breaks the promise, too, before the spell happens that he was going to go reintroduce himself to everybody. Right. He goes in there and decides not to because in typical Spider-Man fashion... He feels they're better off not remembering him. Yeah, well, and I think it's also just he remembers everything that's happened to them as a result of knowing he's Spider-Man in the absolute hell mm-hmm. that they have been through, good, bad, and otherwise. That, like, I don't want to put them through that again because this is just going to be a never-ending cycle. Yeah, so he does wind up leaving them alone. He goes into his own apartment now. Yeah. And he does have a homemade suit. Uh-huh. Which... Very uh, accurate to the comics. Yeah, this was spot on to the comic. You see the sewing machine. This is everything old school, 1970s, vintage Spider-Man. And you see him swinging through Rockefeller Center during the middle of winter uh-huh. to end the film. Yep. Then we get the bonus scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying scenes because the second one was a teaser for Doctor Strange 2. Which is now uh, online. Yes. So we, we, we will deep dive into that next week's show. But the big takeaway from the bonus scene was we did have the follow-up to the Venom Let There Be Carnage bonus scene in which Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock is sitting in a bar in Mexico, I believe? Somewhere Central America, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they ever said, and if they did, I forget, and I apologize. But yeah, no, it's it's south of the U.S. border. Right. And him and Venom are there, and they're basically getting caught to speed about <laughs> what is going on in this world. <laughs> He's getting the events of Infinity War and Endgame explained, and he just can't wrap his head around it. He's like, so wait, this giant purple alien came in, snapped his fingers, and half of the population of the universe disappeared. And then five years later, everybody came back. And the bartender's like, see. Yes. it was. He's it, like, what? Yeah. But before he even gets a chance to really comprehend this, he snapped out of the timeline. Uh-huh. The events of what happened in New York are taking place because he knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He's going back to his universe. Yes. And then we do see that he left something behind. Uh-huh. Part of the symbiote has now spawned into its own entity. Uh-huh. And that's how the movie ends. And I and I was watching a video that explained some of that because I admittedly have not seen either of the Venom movies. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding and the way the video I watched explained it to me, there's a line in, I believe they said it was the second Venom movie, where they kind of allude to there being this like hive mind thing with the venom that like crosses multiverses yes and that the reason eddie brock from those films was in this universe was not because eddie brock knows peter 
but because the symbiote, because of the multiverse hive mind, has interacted with Peter Parker and knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man, that's why he got yanked into that universe. Correct. It's a little tricky situation because it's... it's a little difficult to explain, really, without taking a lot of time to do. Sure. Uh, basically, but if you've been reading, like, Donny Cates' uh, Venom run, and you understand about, like, Null and, and that kind of stuff, you 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 can buy that. Like, that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. And that's that will explain, too, how this symbiote will remember who Peter Parker is. Yeah. Because there's a lot of different directions they can go in with this. But before we go speculating... Final thoughts and grade on the film? Uh, final thoughts on film, I will say, uh, to my point, there's now like 10 fucking universes spawned off of this movie. Because if you remember what Hulk said in Endgame, it's not a back to the future type situation where you can go back in time, change something. Oops, we fucked up. Go back, change it, and it's back to normal. Like, no. From the point you travel in time and something gets changed, that is your new timeline. The past still happened, and the past happened as you remembered it, but that's now your future. So, so I finally understood what he meant by that whole fucking thing. So there is a timeline for nor you know for the Spider-Man film, Tobey Maguire film, as they happened. Mm-hmm. There is a universe for the you know uh, Andrew Garfield films as they happened. But you now have a universe where Norman Osborn never becomes Green Goblin and he doesn't turn into an awful piece of shit and get killed and ruin his son's life. Mm-hmm. There's now a, a universe where Norman is dead, but Doc Ock doesn't go crazy and doesn't kill himself trying to build a, a device containing the entire energy of the sun. So we're up to four there. Yeah, you've got you've got an entire timeline with the Kurt Connors stuff, and he doesn't turn into the lizard and that whole thing. You've got a timeline for Sandman. I almost forgot him. You know, so you got the whole Sandman. So there's six. You've got the universe where uh, Electro, you know, doesn't have go through that whole mess you're up to seven you know there it's just insane how many universes got spawned off of this movie so that'll be interesting to see if they do anything with that going forward uh and then love the movie like i said though you know easily for me the best listen i still love spider-man 2 spider-man 2 is amazing but just for the awesome moments for like half of this move like the first half of the movies is great and i enjoyed the hell out of it outside of the montage of damn it i didn't get into college yeah Outside of that, first half of the movie is great. Second half of the movie is fucking phenomenal. And just so many moments, so many fan moments, so many love letters to the fans, especially, you know, having seen these movies for almost 20 years now. You know, in, in grade, I'd give it solid A. Okay. So I won't go A plus, solid A. I did really enjoy this movie. And I, I've, like I said, I feel that this is the Spider-Man version of Endgame. Yeah. Like, this was the perfect love letter to the fans. This is something that... If they never decide to do another Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland, they could end it right now and we're good. But I feel that even though he said he doesn't want to play Spider-Man until he's, you know, uh, if he's over 30, he doesn't want to do the role. I think that's kind of nonsense. I think yeah. it might be I th- the way I'm interpreting things. I think it's he's politicking. Well, I, I well, and I think it's his, what his comments are getting misconstrued or, or misinterpreted. Like people are saying, "Oh, I don't want to play Spider-Man t- until I'm 30." I no, I think what he's saying is, if I reach that point and all I'm doing is playing Spider-Man, I will have messed up. So like, he wants to do things other than just continue to play. Like he's fine playing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but just he doesn't want that to be the only thing he does. And if the, he, I think that's what he meant by. You know, if I'm playing Spider-Man after I'm 30, I will have failed. No, I don't think he doesn't want to play him. I think it's just he wants to do more than that. 
Yeah, which I can I completely understand. Like sure. I said, I don't I don't fault him on that one bit. I just think that he's got so much potential to do some different stories with Spider Man that I think that if he wants to get locked in for another trilogy, he definitely wants to make sure it's the right one yeah. and definitely, you know, obviously get paid for it because let's face it, we owe him for making this movie happen. Because remember, way back when, Sony and Marvel didn't want to play together. Yeah. And he was the one who drunkenly called Bob Iger. Called Bob Iger and made it happen. They so, didn't want to play ball in the middle of filming, you know, Far From Home. Yeah. So That's something I didn't learn until a couple of weeks ago. That that whole break off and argument between Sony and Marvel was in the middle of fucking filming Far From Home. Yeah, but I think hey. both, both parties realized, like, look what would happen if we work together and make some money. Yeah, well, and especially, like, you know, you look at just the box office numbers for Spider-Man films. Like, one and two and three obviously did very well, but there was a steep fall off mm-hmm. after that. You know, then you, you brought in, you know, Amy Pascal went to Kevin Feige, and she did an interview where she went to Kevin Feige, like, what, what do we need to do for the Spider-Man film? And he said, why didn't you make an MCU film? And she said she threw a sandwich at him. Yeah. You know, but hey, sandwich aside, it's paid off pretty well for you. The uh, I don't remember what the first one did. Second one, uh, Far From Home, did a billion dollars. This one's easily going to do a billion dollars by the end of the week. Oh, yeah. You no. know, so I, I think it's, it's foolish if they don't. And part of me was concerned after this movie was over that they weren't going to because I think the, the, I think I have read that the the deal they done with Sony was for one more Spider-Man movie than one more appearance, mm-hmm. and I was concerned because I'm sitting there digesting the film afterwards and I'm going, they were hand tied with this movie because of everything going on and who he knows and who's involved. It like you've got Happy Hogan who's tied to Stark Industries, which is in the MCU, and he knows Doctor Strange who was in the MCU. That I'm like they were they were obviously very hand tied with this film and not and being able to do it without the MCU being involved. But I was sitting there going, they might be able to. They'd be. I was like, it'd be stupid, but they kind of set themselves up if they want to do a Spider-Man film without Marvel. They can do it because nobody remembers who Peter Parker is. Yeah. But now you've got the news coming out. They're like, no, they are working on another film together. Yeah, that's the one tricky thing that they have now is it's more or less an open playbook. And I know that they said they want to do more movies with Tom Holland as Spider-Man. They definitely have the story arcs to do it. And if they want to do a more grounded one that isn't so batshit crazy MCU involved, I'm all right with that. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you have such a playbook to go with. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing that I don't think fans have realized. Right. Is there is so much great stories you can run with and really sink your teeth into. They don't need the MCU to do it. It just depends on who they want to involve. Now, if Sony wants to go in the direction of doing a shared universe, I think they're going to struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're trying to tie Morbius into it. And, yep. and like, the jury is still out on what that film is going to be like and in February. And Lord knows where that one falls into the universes. Well, that's a big question, too, because there's so much that they shot for the trailer that if you go by that footage, yeah. you know, when did it happen during the time frame of... No way home when everybody true. was there. Like true, there's so much uncertainty there that unless they really explain that, who knows? But this is where we're gonna kind of have to wait till February for a little more answers with that. But I think for this film though, they definitely hit all the high notes. Yeah, I did enjoy this very much. I mean, it's not my number one Spider-Man film, but it's not like I hate it. I'm not sure. saying in any aspect of that. Like I still have Spider-Man two and Spider-Man one as my two favorites. But that is because maybe the way I look at it is I have gone through the Spider-Man buildup and waiting 
to see the movie finally get made. And I have all the emotions when I finally went to a movie theater and saw it. Mm-hmm. So those always have the you know ways out for me. But that's like if you ask me what my favorite MCU film is, it's Winter Soldier. Sure. It's not Endgame. So, but I do enjoy Endgame for what it is. I enjoy the uh, you know the fan service. Like sure, I said, that that's perfect for me. So I I have no issues with that. It's just when it comes down to this film, I think they they hit all the right points on the head. It really drove the feels home and sets up the new stage for whatever it's going to be. Me personally, I'm hoping they go Miles Morales in the next one. But I think how they're going to do this, and this will kind of lead into the speculation. Like if I have to give it a grade. I'm going to give it an A minus. All right. You know, A minus B plus range. Just because, like, if we do a number scale, I give it a, an 8 out of 10. Sure. So we'll just define it like that. But where, where I think they're going is, I think the next film is going to be Venom. Oh, it has to be. And I think this is how you're going to do it. And this is going to be the most roundabout way to get Eddie Brock the white spider on his suit. There's there's no way, given the, the post-credits or mid-credits scene with the Venom symbiote getting left around, that, like, you don't do There's no way they do that. And then sit there and go, you know what? We're going to do the next movie. We're going to do some random villain that we haven't introduced yet. Like, no, that's not how it's going to happen. No, what I think what's going to happen is the symbiote does make its way to New York. Oh, yeah. It does find Peter. It bonds with him. Uh-huh. I don't know if, how they're going to do exactly the way to introduce him because I don't know if Tom Hardy is going to be in this film. Uh, I think they're going to do a more faithful story or adaptation of that story than mm-hmm. they did with, with Spider-Man 3. I don't think it's going to be as convoluted and as congested as it was in Spider-Man 3. I think it'll be a little more streamlined, a little more, and obviously a lot better. Yeah, I think I think they're definitely going to take their time with it. But I think at the end of the day, by this time, the Fantastic Four will be established. Uh-huh. Reed Richards will help him get the suit off with the sonic weapon. Yep. And the symbiote goes back to Eddie Brock of this universe. Like, he finds him. And that will be Tom Hardy. Yeah. And that'll be your bonus scene. And then when he finally suits up, guess what? He has the white spider on him. Game on. Oh, yeah. And then you can go wherever you want from there. That's how I think the next one's going to be. Albeit, though, Rich from 3FN did give me a plot that he did not get to say on their podcast this week. Sure. He thinks the next one is going to be Ned Leeds as Hobgoblin. Hmm. That he says that the build is going to be that hmm. Ned... Uh, Ned and MJ eventually find out yeah, the Spider-Man, yeah, 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 yeah. and like the basically Ned is the jilted, uh, uh, boy, you know, ex-boyfriend of Mary Jane. He he goes into that Harry Osborn role, maybe as the son, and then because if you notice, the actor who plays Ned lost a ton of weight. Yeah, he did. So he's yeah, getting he himself into shape for now. Maybe it's for the role, or maybe it's just healthy. But I'm just gonna speculate on like maybe he knows that. There is a chance that he'll finally be Hobgoblin. Maybe. And do something. And that could be a storyline. So I got to give a credit to Rich about that because he was talking about that after the movie. But well, only was concerned as all fuck in this movie about, like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do anything to kill you. Yeah. Like I said, he kind of telegraphed it. And, you know, like I said, when they, when they tipped that off, maybe it was just lip service. Maybe it wasn't because obviously we know in the comics, Harry or Peter's best friend is Harry Osborn. Yep. So, and obviously, you know, when he becomes a Green Goblin, things get weird. And you can read most issues of Spider-Man lately, and you can see how crazy that guy with him. Either way, though, I mean, the possibilities are endless, but for what they did with this movie, it definitely deserves all the praise it's getting. It's a fantastic film to go see if you're just looking for that popcorn emotional moments. Oh, yeah. You know, Tom Holland, I've heard a lot of our fellow podcasting friends have said, deserves a lead actor nomination for the Oscars Mm -hmm. for this film. I mean. Maybe. Maybe. 
I I could see the argument for it. I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily know if I'm there. I mean, the one scene I think he definitely did it was the anime death scene. Absolutely. So it depends if you want to give him for a scene. I don't know for the movie, though. Hard to say, but what Spider-Man No Way Home definitely did was it hit on that emotional moment that fans of the MCU wanted to see. They wanted to see everybody come together. They wanted to see their own small taste of Into the Spider-Verse, and we got it. They definitely hit all the emotions, I think, for Andrew Garfield. This was the big redemption story that he wanted in the same way of Hayden Christensen. Yeah. I think that that definitely came across the screen very loud and very clear, and I will already debunk this idea that I've heard going around. I don't think you're going to see an Andrew Garfield restart for Spider-Man films. I mean, I, I know people are pitching to see Amazing Spider-Man 3, and I've even seen some folks pitching to see him become the Spider-Man of the Tom Hardy Venomverse. Yeah, but I, you know, at this stage, I'm just like, no. You know what I'd be cool with if they wanted to do this? Have him be Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider. Yeah, maybe. Do that if you want to go that route. But I don't think we need to see this. I don't think we need Snyder Cut 2.0. I'm sorry. Like, listen, let the franchise go for what it was. You know, he did he did his job. He got his redemption story with the fans. Everybody's back in love. But I don't see Sony going, you know what, we need to restart this franchise. Because the last time he did this, well, this is what got us in this place in the first time. Uh-huh. You know, either way, though, Spider-Man No Way Home is definitely worth the time to go to see if you are a comic fan, a pop culture fan, or an MCU fan. Wherever you fall in that line, you need to go see that movie. And then you need to hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. We give you our review of Spider-Man No Way Home. We definitely want to hear yours, so hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. Check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we have finally reached the conclusion of Disney Plus and Marvel Studios' Hawkeye Season 1. Mm-hmm. The surprise hit to some of the MCU, Yeah, the story of Clint Barton, who is reprised by Jeremy Renner for the role, Yep, and Kate Bishop, who is being played by Haley Steinfeld. Masterfully, might I add. Yes. Has definitely captured the pop culture audience and definitely portrayed the Matt Fraction, David Aja run to almost perfection of the same feel and vibe. Yeah. So obviously a little difference in the stories. We have come a long way since the return of Ronan has sparked a interest from a wide variety of interested parties in New York. Such a big net for such a small item. Yes. That now we have finally come to the conclusion of the six-part opening se- season. We are going to be talking spoilers. You know the drill by now. 
So all that being said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think about the season finale of Hawkeye? Thought it was a very good season finale. Tied up everything in kind of like a nice little bow. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the final season of the show. They haven't announced a season two, but I would imagine that at some point it might not be next year. It might be like the year after, you know, but we're, we're time in, in, you know, it feels necessary and right. I think we will get a season two, but for right now, this was a very good season. Lock and loaded, we're getting season two with Haley Seinfeld. Some point, they, like I said, they haven't announced anything yet, you know, so it's not like some shows where they announce a season two before the damn thing's even out yet. But at some point, I presume we're going to be getting a season two. Well, you think we have to because obviously, with the success of the show, and this has not been like a WandaVision takeover where everybody right. shut down social media right. for it. I think the Spider-Man No Way Home has definitely helped yeah, oh yeah. take the uh, pressure off Hawkeye to deliver. Yeah. But definitely it has made its mark with fans because, as we touched upon, the Mad Fraction David Ajaw run is probably the best run of Hawkeye you'll read thus far. And and there's so much influence from David Ajaw's art in this show. It is uncanny, and he deserves all the credit for it as well, too. So I definitely want to strive that. And if you have not picked up those issues, definitely make a point to check them out ASAP. You'll you'll be very, very happy you did. Because as we touched upon, the saga of Ronan's return and Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton trying to appreciate some normalcy in the absolute crazy world he lives in post-Avengers Endgame has definitely been a whirlwind ride. Mm-hmm. We have seen that Kate Bishop has now become a part of his life who has basically gone from being a, you know, impressed fan to a superhero in her own right. Yeah. And as they're trying to figure out the mystery of what is going on with her mother, Eleanor Bishop, played by Verna Farmiga, and the stepdad incumbent of one Jack Dukanesk, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Uh, Swordsman, who's played by Tony Dalton, it's just been a masterful story of, you know, where this character is going. And we've seen so many different faces get introduced to Alkaya Cox, who was playing Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, has definitely made her mark on the show. And we have now seen that the one and only Vincent D'Onofrio has returned to the MCU small screen. Oh, boy. He is now officially in the MCU as Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin. And the man has got his cane. Yikes. Yes, he does. Skulls beware. Yes, super excited about what we were seeing here because that was the footage that left us off last week, that we saw the footage of Kingpin meeting with Kate's mom to talk business. And as we kickstart into this episode entitled So This Is Christmas, we do see that Kingpin is talking with Eleanor, and Eleanor wants out of whatever deal they have. And i got to say, this opening surprised me because obviously given the end of last week's episode, we were going to see Wilson Fisk. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd see it at the damn opening of the show. I was like, oh, shit, so we're starting off with this. Yeah, we're we're coming in hot with this, and I thought they played it brilliantly because this was a taped conversation that was going on uh, with uh, Yelena taping it and giving this now to Kate Bishop. Yeah, and and like I say, Eleanor, like you mentioned, trying to get out of the deal, and she's listing all the weight. Like, listen, you really shouldn't come against me because I've got all these plans. I forget what she said, but she's like, I've got all this stuff. You know, basically like, hey, if you kill me or anything happens to me, this all gets dumped and it's for the world to see. And I'm like, all right, clearly you haven't been working with this man long enough because you don't know how he operates. Yes, it's very interesting to see how this was all unfolding. But give it up to Vincent D'Onofrio. 
like riding a bike, he got right back in this role. Much like, yeah, exactly. You know, like Charlie Cox, like you touched upon earlier. Yeah. This was just secondhand to him and just oozing the charisma that you need for oh Wilson Fisk. Yeah. And just really driving home the point about how he is the kingpin of crime. Yeah. And how this was not going to end well. And then Kate Bishop, I think, got a real hard dose of reality of like, my mom is a criminal. Uh-huh. That we find out that she set up the death of Armand. Yeah. And she had Dukanesque taking the fall. Yeah. Well, and there's a funny moment with the whole mother thing later in the in the show where there's a bad scramble, you know, and her soon-to-be father, stepfather goes, oh, I've lost your mother. And Kate Bishop, without missing a beat, goes, yeah, you're not the only one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was spot on this episode. Like, Haley Seinfeld absolutely crushed it this week. And as we see that the plan is in place to take down Eleanor, that Clint and Kate go crash the holiday party that is uh-huh. happening. And during this moment, we do get a little back and forth that Kate finally confronts Eleanor about everything that's going on. And you try hearing Eleanor give her case. Yeah, like, well, it's not true. Uh, it, made, it was framed. It's uh, fake, fake footage. It's not real. Yeah. We find out that Eleanor was trying to say that the family owed money to Wilson Fisk. And this is the only way that this is to pay the debt. <laughs> Which this just. She's clearly not seen enough mob movies to know you never get. If you owe a mobster mo- money, you will never get out from underneath it. They will find ways to increase that debt. Well, he's a businessman. There's a difference. Uh-huh. There's a difference, Pad. No, I know, but the, <laughs> it's same still. The same thought still applies. Yeah. Meanwhile, at this time, too, Kingpin has already seen the, the possible threat that's going on with Eleanor trying to jump very, ship. Very smart man. Yes, that's that's why he's the Kingpin, folks. And he has Kaze, who's Echo's right hand man, or was, or was, who's played by Fra Free. Uh, to try snipering Eleanor through the window across the building because they're in the Rockefeller Center. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, this doesn't go as well as planned because Kate and Hawkeye are kind of onto uh, the idea that something's going to happen. They have their own little group of Avengers, though, the LARPers, <laughs> which we have, to, we have to come up with a better name for them uh, oh. before it's all said and done, that they're basically getting everybody out of harm's way because they figured that there was going to be an attack. And sure enough, Clint picks up on this. They wind up saving Eleanor, getting her out of there, so to speak. But also during this insanity going on, we do see Elena, played by Florence Pugh, make her appearance at the party. They, she does have this great back and forth with Kate. Yeah. Which I, I'm telling you right now, I need those two in a spinoff series, if not just like a, a, a three-episode arc somewhere down the road. Their comedic timing with each other is fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's top-notch. Yeah, and how they're just kind of battling each other because Elena's basically like, I try helping you. We can be friends. We go out for drinks after this. Like, you know, with her thick Russian accent she's doing. Girls' night. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and Kate's just like, I don't think this is going to work out that way. And and you can see, like, Elena's, like, seriously disappointed. And just, like, how she's trying to be the fish out of water, too. Because, yeah. remember, this is her first time being in New York, and she's just having that thick accent, too, with everything she's she's saying. And she's really trying to, like, be Kate's friend, too. And it's just it's the playoff each other is fantastic. Yeah. Like I said, I can't stress that enough. So they're having their little standoff going on. But then we also see that more people are coming to the party. Uh-huh. And who comes in, Pad? The one and only Tracksuit Mafia. Oh, yeah, because it's not a party until the Tracksuit Mafia shows up. Yes. Another fantastic name. So as they're coming through, 
this does wind up leading to everything kind of falling off the rails a little bit. Everything's going sideways. The LARPers have, you know, done their job, but they wind up having to get suited up as well. They got, they got a costume upgrade. Yeah. Yo. Which I was expecting to hear the Avengers theme kick in. I, listen, I would not have put it past them to have that on their their phones because you would presume in this universe they've got, you know, the, the Avengers theme as, like, a thing people can have as their ringtone. Mm-hmm. I would not have put that past them to, like, somebody have that in their back pocket and then just hit the button and play it. Yeah. But they wind up actually getting everybody kind of out of the building. So they're being the real heroes of this episode. Crowd control. Yes. Because right now, there's everybody's kind of breaking away to do their own things. You're seeing that Clint is obviously trying to deal with Kaze, who's snipering from across the building. Even though he winds up getting taken out by Echo, uh-huh. who has now made her appearance at the party. Might be turning over a new leaf. Yes, because she's now comes to the real, realization that Wilson Fisk was behind the hit out on her dad. Uh, imagine that. Wilson Fisk, awful piece of shit. Who'd have known? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So, obviously, Kaze has to deal with her. And... Echo winds up killing Kaze, mm-hmm. which was kind of after she tried reasoning with him the entire episode, too, of like, you can come with me. We can escape this. And he's like, no, this is my life. I'll say, dude, is too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah, he, there was no chance for him to get no. out. So there was absolutely nothing there. And then at, by this point, too, Yelena has now tracked down Clint. who She's still got an axe to grind. Oh, yeah, she's definitely got an axe to grind. So they're having their fight because after Clint makes his valiant escape out the building, to the Rockefeller tree yeah. <laughs> and has to have Kate Bishop shoot a disintegration arrow. Damn cat stuck up in a tree. Yeah, which was obviously a very cool scene because, I mean. Kate, Kate at one point goes, where are you? I'm in a tree. No, seriously, where are you? No, I'm in a tree. Yeah. They wind up having to, you know, fight off the tracksuit mafia. And this is where you see the trick arrows come into play. You saw yeah. them building them a little beforehand. Yep. This just played a fan service about, I don't want to say the corniness of Hawkeye, but. Let's face it, if you look at any archer in the comics from, you know, the 50s, yeah, 60s, yeah. and 70s, there's always those weird trick arrows. The The punching bag arrow is always yeah, my favorite. the arrows were cool, but I got just one question. Why the hell did they label them? Like, I get for the moment of, like, oh, you want to know what's what, but, like, in the heat of the battle where you're not looking at your quiver, you just got to pull and go, where does that come in handy? I'm not mad about it. I was just like... I noticed it when they were in the middle of the fight sequence that, like, you had one arrow that was labeled Sonic, another one that was labeled, like, Electric or something. And I'm like, what is the purpose of that? I'm thinking it was when they were putting them together with the Stark technology. Probably. You want to keep them kind of separate. But I think for Hawkeye's case, that he realized, you know what, I if I'm going to be separating these and Kate's going to grab them, I need to make sure they're labeled. Yeah. So she knows because she's not used to, you know, the arrows he carries. Sure. Because, I mean, this is secondhand to him. But he's also handled dangerous arrows. That's true. I mean, she's only handled normal arrows this to our is, knowledge. This is true. So that's why I kind of figured with that. Uh, that made a little more sense to me. Because once they have their battle with the tracksuit mafia and they're taking everybody out and you're having those classic superhero moments yeah. too. This is where they eventually break away and you see Kate go after her mom. Yep. Trying to make the save. But lo and behold, who shows up to ruin that party pad? Uh, Wilson Fisk himself. Yes. In a very cool scene, where they start getting into a crazy battle in a toy store. They Marvel did more for the Wilson Fisk character on screen in 30 seconds than I think Netflix did for like three seasons. Well, Netflix didn't want to showcase the I don't I, I hate saying powers because it's not powers. Sure, 
But where Wilson Fisk is a very dense individual and can yeah. and can physically handle Oh yeah. You know, the Spider Man's like you always see the the image oh, of when he yeah. has him in a bear hug. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, when Netflix was doing it, they didn't want to demonstrate that. Sure, but they, like the, obviously in the Netflix shows, they made him a very threatening and very dangerous individual. That mm-hmm. was very clear and evident. But the minute Kate shot Fisk with that arrow, it just sat there, and he just went, huh, pulled it out and went, oh, well, anyways, and he just kept fighting. I was like, oh, shit, like I know who he is, and I know the character, and I know he's a strong badass, but like, the fact that they just had him take an arrow basically at point blank range. Yeah. And he just shrugged it off and came, kept coming. I'm like, that's great development. Oh, that was huge because you understand why. And that's going to come into play later is he can withstand some damage. He could have been wearing a vest that we know of. Maybe. But he could definitely hold his own. So you see this great fight sequence going on between them until it's ultimately ended by Eleanor driving a car into Fisk. Out of nowhere, she's in the middle of fighting Fisk. Fisk takes her quiver of arrows, takes all of the arrows out, snaps them all simultaneously, yeah. drops them on the ground, goes to leave, and out of nowhere, like Randy Orton, you know, car comes flying in and smashes his ass. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, so the little touch of trick arrows, a little touch of a car taking him out. And you see Fisk down, which, dare I say, him with the fedora. I, I, oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I need that as a Funko Pop, please. Uh, that's going to happen. That's so going to happen. Funko, if you're listening, work with Marvel and get that done. Yeah, like I say. But it was very cool to see this, you know, uh, you know, fully, like, I don't I don't want to say coming of age. But this is where you really get this Kate Bishop can be a superhero. Oh, yeah. Th- this is her moment in, you know in the story where like she's gone from bumbling understudy, you know, protege to like, you know what? She's not the best, but she can hold her own. Yeah. So it's absolutely crazy to see that. Yeah. But it's so cool. And this really establishes her and it does establish Wilson Fisk like you touched on, because we have never really seen him get too physical in the MCU. Right. You know, even with the Netflix show, I mean, he's, right. he's had a couple battles with daredevil here and there. Oh yeah. But, but he never took anything that was like, Oh, that should mortally wound you. And eh, I'm just going to get up. Yeah. So he definitely is taken out here, but it's a great way. And especially you see how Kate is using the trick arrows too, to, yeah. to slow him down too. Yeah. It's a very cool scene. Meanwhile, you have Yelena finally catch up to Clint Barton and she's about ready to kill him. Cause she's kicking the crap out of him. And then she's just like, I got one question, you know, why? And yeah. he's like, yeah. I've told you time and time again, your sister sacrificed herself for the world. And she's like, you're lying. And she wants an explanation, you know, of what happened. And Clint says, you know, listen, even if I explained it to you, you wouldn't believe me, which I think to a degree is true, mm-hmm. you know, but he goes, listen, all you need to know is that it was a set of circumstances and she sacrificed herself for the, she's, she saved the world. Yeah. So that was a very cool thing to see. I mean, they had a great, you know, scene together, yeah. especially when Clint does the secret whistle. Yeah. Well, and it was a great sequence and I, yeah, Yelena was a little bit hard headed about the whole thing, mm-hmm. like not believing. But like, I think it made it made sense though, in the sense of like that wasn't the the Natasha Clint was explaining wasn't the Natasha she knew. Yeah, that like the Natasha I know would never sacrifice herself and do that. She would do everything she can to get the mission done and whatever means necessary. You know, so it was it was really touching and really great to see kind of that like growth of Yelena to go from I'm gonna fucking kill you because I think you killed my sister to. Oh, now I understand. Yeah, like you see it finally sink in that yeah. the, the sister that she thought she had to avenge, she didn't. She was honoring Yeah, that, you know, the, the honor is like, I'm going to carry on the legacy 
now, yeah. and she's got some thinking to do. And it will it'd be interesting to see where we f- see her next in the MCU. Yeah, that's that's a good question because it's not exactly clear cut. No, it isn't. Like this is kind of like when a character gets done with brainwashing and yeah. it's like reset. Uh, kind of like reminiscent when Bucky Barnes yes. broke the programming from the Winter Soldier. Yes, kind of in that sense that yes. like finally it sunk in that like. Natasha wasn't murdered. And that could be interesting, though, if she's not kind of on that evil side, you know, with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character, you know, where because now, you know, Yelena knows about her and possibly what she's planning and she might not be on board now. Well, you know, there is a there is an interesting thing I want to talk about after we get done with the episode involving that. But that I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. Because now after we've finally had Clint does wind up getting his Avengers moment, Elena now leaves. Clint's wearing his costume. He's wearing the the costume. Yes, the actual Hawkeye purple costume. Which is great. Oh, it's so dope. And you see the Kate is obviously, you know, ascended to the hero role. Wilson Fisk has taken off. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's down an alley. Yep. And during this time, too, Echo confronts him with a gun. Yeah. Well, listen, sometimes there's misunderstandings between family. Bang. Yeah. But we never see the shot. We just hear it. The man took an arrow at point blank range. Some of y'all are going to think he's dead from a gunshot, please. Exactly. There was no the, way they were going to do one and done with this. The Wilson man Fisk. took an arrow to the heart region. Come on. Yeah, exactly. He's perfectly fine. Like to see how he survives. I'm almost wondering if he grabbed the gun and, and threw her arm up in the air or something. Rule number one of comics and movies and such. If there ain't a body, they ain't dead. Exactly. And I'm so glad about that. Because and even the, then, when you see a body, they still might be dead. Hello, Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. But with Wilson Fisk, though, I'm glad they kind of alluded like that. Obviously, with Echo getting her own series, we're going to see more uh-huh. of her adventures, and uh-huh. you're going to see a lot more Wilson Fisk there. Uh huh. And you will see some Charlie Cox there too. Uh, that's imagine. a that's a safe bet. That's a very safe bet. But since New York is now wrapped up, Clint Barton does return home with Kate Bishop yeah. and Lucky. Oh yeah, Pizza Dog is in the house. Doesn't he say it's some like when like oh they're all excited to meet you? Yes, which is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So they wind up going to Clint's house because she, she, essentially she's got no family at this point because uh, Eleanor's arrested. Eleanor's arrested. So Lord knows she probably doesn't want to hang out with her future stepfather if he's even going to still get married to her mother. But that was another problem I had though. Yeah. I gotta say with this episode. Yeah. Okay. Dukanesque. Yeah. We all know as a swordsman. Yeah. So he gets released from jail. And he's walking around the party with a sword. Well, yeah, I, I well, no, because he got let out, and they alluded to it. They didn't outright say it, but he ran into he ran into a kid. Yeah, and I, th- I don't know who the kid was, but he's like, oh, he basically alluded to like, oh, it's because of who I know. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I just thought it was a little tricky about what they were doing with him and the sword. Like, just, he was completely walking around because... Well, it's, well, it's his fiance's party. Like, it's not that weird that he'd be walking around her party. Like, hey, No, he's, no, he, no, no, with a sword. Again, it's his it's his fiance's party. He can yeah. do whatever the hell he wants. Oh, I, I grant you, but seriously, do you, you go to your, you know, to house parties with a sword just kind of lounging around? I mean, if it was somebody I knew or somebody I was engaged to, I could probably get away with it. Okay, but like, but if it was, but if it was like some somebody I know that is, I'm, I'm not related to. No, I couldn't. No, but do I'm that. just saying, high society, you're not walking around yeah. with a freaking sword, and you're, you're you're clearly not going to the right parties then. <laughs> I, I, Mid party sword fight, fuck yeah. I definitely am not hanging out where you're hanging out with that. 
Because I just thought it was interesting that he did, and then all of a sudden he's fighting everybody in the street, and, like, nobody blinks an eye. And yeah, then, that was a little odd, though. Like, he's having sword fights yeah. with some of the folks in, like, the crowd around her, like, do-do-do-do-do. Like, I just thought it was too telegraphed with that. I was just like, yeah. oh, like, okay. I, th- I thought, it, I thought it, I will agree with you. I thought it was weird when he started having sword fights in the middle of the street, and, like, you could, you, they weren't in focus, but you could still see folks in the background just casually walking down the street. I mean, street. it's New York, so, I mean, I'm sure they're not phased by yeah, it. Yeah, no. that's true. I mean, the Jatari came through and, and tore up the, half the city, yeah. and everybody's thinking, still thinking about getting shawarma you know it's like it is what it is but i just thought it was it was odd mannerisms i mean i know from the comics who he is but i was just like okay there's more to your story than we're even scratching at hey right listen now. there's a villain they introduced that they didn't kill off i give him credit no i'll give him that but i was just like okay how is this all going to tie in marvel's got a track record for introducing characters in these villains in these movies and then killing them off at the first opportunity yeah because the only thing we had was eleanor going to jail and yelling at kate for arresting her mom on christmas like you know for trying to save the family ah, bitch please yeah like she was trying she was trying to be like you know the voice of reason and, and, and the, the tragic <laughs> figure and, and and like like nobody's buying this so this is why kate took off with the barton family for christmas only so much bullshit i can buy yeah exactly but we do get the cool moment, though, where the family is now sitting down for dinner. Yep. And we do see the Clint did go get the watch. Mm-hmm. And the watch, Pat, I want you to explain this because you're the one that told me about this. Yeah, so he, this, I know this was a plot thread you wanted closure on and a lot of folks wanted closure on. And we got a bit of closure on it. Uh, he does bring up the watch and he does hand the watch to his wife because the watch is hers. Mm-hmm. She f- looks at the watch. She flips the watch over. And we see the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on the watch, thus confirming she worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. But she wasn't just any old average Jane who worked at S.H.I.E.L.D. No, 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 no. There was a number engraved on the back of that watch. And that was one. It was that that number, 19. She was Agent 19, a.k.a. Mockingbird. Yeah, Bobby Morse. Uh-huh. So Clint Barton, Clint Barton in the MCU films is married to Mockingbird. That's a very cool. I'll give you all credit for that one because I did not see that. Oh, boy. That was insane. I, saw, I You know the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like sitting up and pointing? I, that was me when I was watching the episode. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. What a moment. And, you know, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too, this does kind of take them out of canon per se. A little bit. But we still are guessing that we're going to see a lot more of Phil Coulson and company in Secret Invasion. At least one other member of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think. But to see Bobby Morris now finally in the MCU, perfect. Yeah. Definitely was super excited to see that. When you told me about that reveal, I was like, Linda Cardinelli being Bobby Morris, I'm like, sign me up. Children uh, made between Hawkeye and, and Mockingbird, those are some dangerous kids. Yes, they are. Holy fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's it, and it's, it's something that we really have not seen in the, in the comics. Like, to my knowledge, I mean, Hawkeye and Mockingbird – you know, I've always just yeah. been, a, you know, the married couple on and off, but right. but that's been it. But we haven't seen anything else, you know, like, so to see their, that they have a family, like, that could be something that leads down the road. I know Young, Young Avengers, Avengers? Is, is, you know, hinted at, so maybe this is going to be a point to it. But final thoughts on the episode before we do speculation, Pat. Uh, really great episode. Love the tie-off, you know, and it was a great, you know, ending to the season. Excited to see where these characters go from here. Uh, and give me more Wilson Fisk, please. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I mean, I've, I really enjoyed the ending. Um, I know some people online have been kind of, you know, saying it wasn't that great. And it might not have been your favorite episode. But I think what they needed to do for being a short season 
is they wanted to tie up everything and leave yeah. stuff hanging. Yeah, I mean, it was exactly what it needed to be. You know, it didn't get too crazy. It didn't get too over the top. But it, it just did enough to kind of close out the season. Yeah, which is all I needed to do. We had the big moments. Uh, definitely some cliffhangers. I thought they should have been a little tighter on. Sure. Like, Dukanask is, is one that's kind of, like, up in the air. Sure. Too. But that's going to that's gonna come to some point down the road. I mean, this isn't like WandaVision or Loki where it's going to directly tie into something that is in the immediate future. Like, we knew Wanda, it was already said that WandaVision is going to lead directly into Doctor Strange 2. Once we got through Loki, we realized, okay, part of this is going to play into Doctor Strange 2. At some point down the road, some of these elements I'm sure are going to tie into a movie at some point. We just don't know what that is because you just look at what we know is coming down the road for films nothing immediately jumps out at us and goes, aha, that's where that's going to come into play. I'm sure it will, mm. but just looking at it in black and white on paper, it's hard to tell. The only thing you can kind of say is this was supposed to spawn off the Echo series, which it did. Yeah, yeah. And we do know that Wilson Fisk is going to definitely be back for that. Probably Charlie Cox as well. That's I, probably, would imagine, that's, I would imagine. That's a safe money bet right there. And possibly even more Netflix characters. We have heard those rumors. Yeah. But we have to take them as rumors. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that they did their job there. This was supposed to be a pilot for Kate Bishop to the MCU, and they did a fantastic job with that. Haley Steinfeld definitely crushed it in this role the entire you know season, and I fully expect that season two will be centered around her. Yeah. You might have Jeremy Renner come back in here and there, but I don't think he's going to be a major focus point. No, I, th- I, th- I think he might take a bit of a back role. He'll still show up from time to time, you know, and, and probably for, like, the next Avengers film, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of him being, like, a regular mainstay, I, that might be in the past, which is fine. Yeah, which I think they alluded to at the final scene as well, too, because when Kate was trying to come up with superhero names... I Clint was kind of hinting, well, well, how about this? And then they just ended the show. Yeah, well, so, she needs a name and she needs a better bow. Yeah, so I think he'll definitely set that up as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how she goes moving forward and obviously being a focal point of whatever the next phase of the Avengers is going to be. Yeah. And if it's going to be Young Avengers, which I fully think it's going to be, this could be a definitely you know a, a plot to watch moving forward. And then the other hang-up I had, though, is Yelena. Uh-huh. Because... As we know from the end scene of Black Widow, yep, Julia Louis Dreyfus's countenance was the character that approached her about doing the job for Clint Barton. Yep. Well, if Eleanor's the one who hired her, how does Julia Louis Dreyfus's character fit, fit fit in all this? I think it's a case of because in the in the end scene of Black Widow, you know. To our knowledge, Yelena knew she was dead because obviously she's at the grave. Mm. She didn't know how. She just told her, and it's been a while since I've seen the Black Widow film, so I could be remembering the scene wrong. But Julia Louise Dreyfus tells Yelena that Clint Barton is responsible for killing your sister. Yeah. And so that, I'm now I'm speculating here. That, I think, would have led to Yelena searching the world for him and trying to hunt him down and making it known that, hey, if you're looking for somebody to take out, you know, a superpowered individual, I'm your gal. I can do it. So then she makes herself known to Kingpin and Kingpin says, hey, Eleanor, I need you to take out Hawkeye. Here's a here's an asset you can use, you know, work out the payment towards her because I'm sorry, I just can't see Eleanor knowing you know, assassins willy-nilly and having them in her address book, in her in her desk, at her office. You know, so I would presume that 
so Eleanor uh, Yelena made her made it known that hey, I'm in the I'm in the market for taking out superpowered individuals. If you need me to, Fisk found out about it. Hey, I conveniently enough, I got a indiv- super individual that I need to taken care of. Eleanor, here's the name and number. You you do all the handiwork. Yeah, I think that's just something that the connection between Kingpin and Contessa, I think, is going to be something. I yeah, we're going to have to see. Yeah, because I I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Kingpin's bankrolling her. Well, see, you know, that's kind of the question you have because if she's putting together the superpowered Dark Avengers Thunderbolts, like whatever you want to define them as, yeah, they would probably have a backing. If it's the Dark Avengers storyline, you could, in theory, slide in Wilson Fisk. To Norman Osborn's role, yeah, to a to a degree, yeah. So that would make sense on that front. Thunderbolts is a little more trickier because it depends on what in, you know incarnation you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously the Baron Zemo one, I, I mean, they could do, but see, I don't but, know what that wouldn't that wouldn't tie in too much. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think in just in terms of naming it, they're going to call it Dark Avengers. They might go with something Thunderbolts, but just name it Dark Avengers, just because I think from a marketing standpoint, that has a bigger impact for like the, oh sure for like the casual fans who've never read the comics, seeing oh hey, there's a Dark Avengers story movie coming. Like what the fuck is Dark Avengers? Oh shit, I'm in for this. Like so, I think they'll call it Dark Avengers, but who knows? I think if they end up going with like substituting Wilson Fisk in for the Norman Osborn role, that'll make a lot of sense because you know as we know from no way home there is no norman osborne or oscorp in this universe yeah so i mean it definitely would make some sense there he won't be the iron patriot so sorry kind of do no, no, no. that no you you won't see him in a suit flying around doing that but it's it definitely brings up a point of okay how is this all connected with you know the contessa that's something I think they're going to have to explain now. Are yeah. we going to get an explanation right away? No, no I think it'll, it'll come at some point. Though. Oh, oh yeah, sure. It'll come at some point, but that is something I would definitely like to know about because to see how we had the setup and then to see, well, Eleanor was responsible for hiring Yelena. It's like, so how are you all connecting and working with each other? So it means it's part of a bigger scheme. I, I can see a future scene where like end credits of like a show or a movie and she shows up, and, like, you see her take out her... Like, she's got... Like, if we see an end battle of, like, a show or something, and then the met end credit scene is, like, from her perspective, watching the events play out, and then she pulls out her phone, you know, and scrolls down to Wilson Fisk's number in her phone, and, and you can see it say, Wilson Fisk, mm. hits call, we need to talk. Cut to black. So, oh, good. So that's... I think that could be the easy way of just, like, hey, these two know each other, and they're working together. Yeah, I'm thinking we're gonna. I think we'll find out about that in Secret Invasion. Probably. I fully. I, I got a feeling that scroll is going to be involved there, one way or another. But what a way to cap off the 2021 year of Disney Plus Marvel content. Hell of a year. Amazing year from start to finish. It's tough to say who really won out this year between all the shows there. So much amazing content, but Hawkeye definitely made its mark. It definitely hit where it needed to. And I can't stress enough, if you have not read the Matt Fraction, David Ajaw run, do yourselves a favor this holiday season. Go pick up a copy at your local comic shop. Ask them to order you one. Go check it out online on Marvel Unlimited. It's definitely worth the time to go check out because it's arguably the best Clint Barton story you're ever going to read. Bar none. And Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld definitely lived up to the roles. They lived up to the hype. You heard Pad's take. You heard my take. Now we want to hear your take. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the season finale of Hawkeye season one? That's what we're running with entitled. So this is Christmas. And what is your thoughts about season one of Hawkeye in general? 
Let's have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time for the one-shots. What you got, Pat? Got a couple things to talk about, and I know we were a little DC or uh, Marvel-heavy in the first two segments, so I gotta mention some DC stuff. Uh, first of which came out after we recorded our episode last week, but it was announced on uh, Thursday last week that the DC movie Blue Beetle, which was going to be in theaters, and then they moved it to HBO Max. Well, it's getting backed, uh, moved back to uh, theaters uh, on August 18th, 2023. Okay. Uh, the film is being directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Uh, you know, he's directing, you know, and you've got, uh, Gareth Dunet, uh, Al Coker, apologies if I butchered the name, doing the screenplay. Uh, you've got John Ricard is producing and then Zolo, and I'm going to butcher this last name. So I apologize. Uh, Mary Duena is starring in the titular role as uh, blue beetle. Uh, so that's exciting news. I know folks were a little bummed. It got moved to HBO max, but Hey, uh, it's getting moved back to theat- a theatrical release, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to see this. I mean, uh, Zolo is the, uh, lead young actor on Cobra Kai. Okay. So he, he's great in that role. So I can definitely see him doing Jaime Reyes. Um, this is going to be a fun film. Like I'm definitely intrigued that they're doing this. I'm, I'm happy they are because usually with Marvel, or, I mean, I'm sorry, DC movies, you usually hear it's like the big bat family or Superman or the wonder woman, like the Trinity. Right. So to take like an obscure character of blue beetle and let alone the Reyes version, I'm excited for. It. Yeah, I, I'm excited for it too, just because I wasn't really exposed or did, wasn't aware of blue beetle until the young justice animated series, mm-hmm. you know, because Blue Beetle never featured in Batman or Superman, the animated series, was never featured in Justice League. And I, if he was in Justice League Unlimited, it was in the background. He was never in, you know, featured in a story. So I wasn't really aware of him then, but I was, I was not, I wasn't the biggest man. I was like, I'm, not, I'm like, all right, he's a cool character. Yeah, he's a very cool character. So I'm down to see the movie, you know, so I'm excited for that. Uh, sticking with more uh, DC news, uh, it appears that we're going to get a pair of DC uh, villains from the films uh, back in their roles for the upcoming Flash movie. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, coming uh, courtesy of a movie preview from the Warner Brothers official site, uh, which uh, uh, reading from an article on IGN says, quote, it included both uh, Michael Shannon and uh, and Tej uh, Trey, T-R-A-U-E, okay. uh, along with Ezra Miller and Michael Keaton. Of course, Ezra Miller is Barry Allen as The Flash. Michael Keaton is uh, reprising his role as Batman. Uh, if Mike, Michael Shannon and then and Tej uh, Trell aren't familiar to you, that was General Zod and his right-hand woman uh, from Man of Steel. Yeah. Both of whom are dead or supposed to be dead uh, in the DC films. So, so yeah, that's Zod and uh, Feora uh, might be making an appearance in the new Flash movie. Interesting. This movie's getting fucking wild, and I'm getting slightly more excited for it because obviously, this in case you're living under a rock or you've been on a deserted island for the last couple of years. Uh, the Flash film is Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. We will see Ben Affleck in this film in some capacity. You've got Michael Keaton returning uh, to reprise his role as Batman after many, many years. But now you're getting General Zod and his right-hand woman, Feora, involved. This movie's going to be fucking wild. They need to do it, though, because The Flash has been one of those puzzling 
Hollywood projects yeah. that we've heard so much about that, honestly, until I'm in a theater watching it, I'm still not believing it's happening. Yeah. Like, I, in all honesty, like, I know there's a tr- I know there was footage from DC Fandom. I get, like, I get it. I'm still not buying it right. until I'm in there. But the names they're throwing in there is the only reason I think I'm going to see it. Like, I'm not a big Ezra Miller fan. Sure. I And his Barry Allen is like, okay, but I'm sorry, Grant Gustin is my Barry Allen. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm with you in that, but I also kind of give it an asterisk because we really haven't seen that much of Ezra Miller. We've seen effectively two movies. Yeah. Three, if you want to count, you know, Zack Snyder, Justice League cut, you know, but it's essentially the same. It's essentially. Yeah, sure, sure. I get it's you. essentially the same framework, you know, and I know I'm going to catch hate for it, but hey, it is what it is. You know, we haven't seen all that much of him, you know, so I'm excited to see what they do with the role. And just the, the folks are adding is going to lead to some interesting possibilities, I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about that. So it's it's going to be something when this movie ever goes to a theater, I will be in attendance for it because that's the only reason I'm going to believe it's happening. But they're <laughs> casting it very solid. Though. Oh, yeah. And speaking of Michael Keaton, he will not be done playing his role with the Flash film uh, because in the same Warner Brothers post on their media site, uh, it was announced that Michael Keaton has been added to the cast for the upcoming Batgirl film, which oh, is, okay. that's going to be uh, released on HBO Max. Uh, so it's currently the film is currently in production in Scotland, and it's of course going to be following the classic, well-known DC character Barbara Gordon as she takes on the mantle. Uh, alongside Michael Keaton, you've got Leslie Grace playing uh, Barbara Gordon. J.K. Simmons is back reprising his role as Commissioner Gordon. You've got Brendan Fraser uh, set to play the villain Firefly, uh, and you've got. Uh, Jacob uh, Scipio, uh, S-C-I-P-I-O, is in the role in an unspecified role. Not really known. So very exciting to see, hey, we're not just going to get one film with Michael Keaton in it. We're getting two. Yeah, no, this is definitely big news. And to see Keaton really take up the mantle again. Yeah. Just give me a Batman Beyond movie already with him. I'm just saying. Uh, maybe it'll spawn off from this. You yeah, know. I'm saying, you know, get, get, have him be Terry's mentor. Yeah. I'm, I'm there for it. Like, yeah. I think a lot of possibilities with that. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we got a trailer released for a sequel that I am very much excited for. Uh, this movie comes out in February of next year, and it is a sequel to Death on the Orient Express. And this movie is, of course, Death on the Nile. Uh, so this is directed by Kenneth Branagh. Yes, that Kenneth Branagh. Uh, and it's based on the novel by Agatha Christie. Uh, super excited for this. The description of this on IMDb says, while on vacation on the Nile, Hercule uh, Poirot must investigate the murder of a young heiress. Uh, So it looks kind of in the same vein of the first movie, if you've ever seen it. Uh, Kenneth Branagh directs and stars in the movie. You've also got Gal Gadot, Rose Leslie, Army Hammer, Lydia Wright, you know, just Russell Brand, just to name a few. It certainly looks to be a stacked cast. It looks to be awesome. And maybe borrowing a little, I'm getting some Knives Out vibes from it. Yeah, I definitely got that from the trailer. You know, but hey, I dug the shit out of Knives Out. I'm excited for Knives Out too. Love uh, Death on the Orient Express, or Murder on the Orient Express, Murder on the Orient Express, excuse me. So I'm super excited for this. It looks awesome. We need more like murder mystery whodunit movies. There's not enough of those in Hollywood today. No, it seems like it's a nice genre to come back with. Yeah. You know, like I said, you touched upon, we don't have a lot of that in Hollywood right now. Yeah. So if they do it well and they're and they're casting it as much as well and, and with Knives Out doing as well as it has, yeah, it's a lot of well, but it's a lot of good though. Yes. So definitely excited to see what's going on with that. All right, so for my one shots, I uh, did have some Dark Horse Comics news. Okay. So coming from the article from IGN, uh, it has been announced that the Embracer Group has now bought Dark Horse Comics. The who group? 
It's the Dark Horse Comics, the publisher behind Frank Miller's Sin City, has become yep. part of the Embracer Group, huh. uh, which is, from what I can tell from the Embracer Group, that they are a video game uh, company. Interesting. So, yeah. So, this will be a little interesting. According to the article, the Embracer Group has been snapping up gamers, game studios. It currently owns Gearbox Entertainment, Coke Media, Saber Interactive, and THQ Nordic, oh. and many others. Oh, okay. Yeah, I looked them up on uh, Wikipedia. It says Embracer Group AB, formerly Nordic Games Licensing AB, and THQ Nordic AB, is a Swedish video game holding company based in uh, Karlstad. The company was established under the name Nordic Games Licensing in 2011 as part of Nordic Games Group and as the parent parent of publisher Nordic Games. Uh, The company acquired several assets from defunct publishers, starting with the... Those of Jay Wood, Joe Wood in 2011 and THQ in 2013. In August 2016, Nordic Games Licensing and Publishing subsidiary changed their name to THQ Nordic AB. Okay, so once you mentioned Gearbox, who of course are the folks that make the Borderlands games, I went, mm. oh, okay, I know who these guys are. Yeah, so big news for Dark Horse. I mean, it's. It, I was kind of like, I'm waiting to see how this all go- gets shaken out. Yeah. Because obviously, when you see a company buying a, a comic book company, what does this entail? Because obviously we've seen this happen with DC Comics. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's been hit or miss depending on what you're you're getting into. So, I mean, Pat, initial thoughts on this? I'm interested to see where it goes because it's going to be in the same house now as Gearbox Software who make fantastic games, I might I say. If you get Gearbox making some Dark Horse games off of their their products, that could be real damn good. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of really interesting to watch. So definitely want to see how this shapes up moving forward, but... Uh, it's big news that Dark Horse has been purchased, so definitely have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, comic news-wise, this one uh, broke a couple days ago and definitely uh, still trying to wrap my head around a little bit. We are getting a new Punisher comic series from Marvel Comics. Okay. 13 issues. Jason Aaron is behind the book. Well, you've sold half the internet. Yes. Uh, I mean, Jason Aaron does amazing work, so that's all I really need to see. Uh, Jesus Saez from the Star Wars uh, franchise. Does good stuff. He's the artist on the book, along with Paul Azaketa. Okay. Um, who I believe is from Outcast with Robert Kirkman. Okay. So this is kind of an interesting book that's going to be going on. Uh, the story premise is one that... When I first read it, I'm very yeah about yeah because what it's doing is Frank Castle has now taken over control of the hand, the ninja uh, clan. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That has been a thorn in everybody's side from Daredevil to Wolverine. Yeah. throughout the years. Yeah, and he's now working uh, under the Beast, hmm. which when I first read this. The first thing that jumped in my mind was Shadowland. Okay. You don't know that story, do you, Pat? No. Okay. In my opinion, a very bad story involving Daredevil being possessed by the same creature. who was He was running the hand, but eventually went nuts. Uh-huh. Had to have the Defenders from Netflix yeah, yeah, team, yeah. take him out. Wasn't a great story. Let me put you in the hot seat and maybe piss you off because I love doing this. You have to, half, half, have to keep one story. Omet, Spider Clones, or Shadowlands? Oh, I'll keep Shadowlands. Okay. All right. If, if it means the other two go away, fuck, dude, I'm <laughs> gone. See, here's the, okay, I, I will explain this very easily. Spider-Man is arguably my favorite superhero. Sure. Arguably, he's up there. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. You know, um, Omit 
pissed me off. Yeah. Clone Saga set me off that I quit reading Spider-Man for two years. If you want to send Ken any Ben Riley merchandise, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I will, uh, we'll figure out a way to get it to him. Yeah. Like, well, just the whole nonsense involving it and just they, the fact they kept it going. Yeah. It was like infuriating. And then they pulled the one storyline that, hey, the Peter Parker we've grown up with yeah. for all those years has never been the real Peter Parker. It's really been Riley the entire time. Dun, 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 dun. And I was dun. like, what the fuck are we doing here? So, no, like if I have to, if out of those three stories, I'll keep Shadowland because I don't care about Shadowland. Hey, hey listen, every hero has a bad story along the way. Hello, Superman Red and Blue. Oh, yeah. Well, don't say <laughs> I know a couple podcasts that just heard that are probably throwing their podcast players against the wall Listen, right now. It's not the worst, but it's not great. Oh, <laughs> we'll talk off air because I, I know one, the minute they hear this, I'm going to get some very angry DMs about. But no, but like, I'm sorry for this story. Like I read it. I'm just like, oh, and if you know anything about the Punisher's history, whenever they take a radical direction, and that's probably the nicest way I can put it. Yeah, it usually does not come out good and there's a long list of times when they've gone away from the core Frank Castle yeah mantra so uh i'm waiting to see how this shapes up but the fact that Jason Aaron is the guy behind this i really like his writing so i'm definitely feeling good about this uh-huh um just the the sense of like he usually doesn't miss when he takes a shot like this. Mm. But it's also like, where are we going, per se? Um, because I, like, I just don't know how this shapes up that he's going to be running the hand. Right. Like, that's just... I mean, to me, it's a terrifying thought if you have an entire group of the hand trained in Punisher ways and Punisher tactics. You're essentially unleashing an entire group of Punishers on the world, which, fuck. Yeah, which, like I say. Villains of the underworld, beware. Yeah, I'm like I say, on, on paper, it's, it's an interesting process. But like I said, we saw what happened when Daredevil was doing it, and yeah. that was bad. Yeah. That was real bad. Like I said, not as Clone Saga bad, because that's the worst. That's, the, that's basically like... Oh, no, I don't give any ideas out. That's just that's just bad. <laughs> it's just so so bad. So let me talk about some happier comic news. So this week at the shops, this is a stacked lineup. I mean, first off on Comicsology, we got two new books from the Scott Snyder universe. Scott Snyder and Francis Manipal's Clear Number Three, which has been freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Very cool sci-fi vibe to it. And then Francisco Francis Francisco Vela mm-hmm. and Scott Snyder's Night of the Ghoul, which. I am not the biggest horror comic guy. Uh, I can confirm this. I love this book. Okay. It's freaking nuts. It's so classic. Yeah. It's like the black and white films, just, you know, like that kind of vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just the, the story behind it is so simplistic, but yet they're hitting the marks and they're really driving the horror aspect home with it. I think that every book that's come out thus far, and this, these two are on Comicsology right now. They will be getting published under Dark Horse down the road. Mm-hmm. I know they, we talked about last episode. We have Demons is going to be coming out soon and in comic book form, and then trade paperback right after. These are books that definitely go check out and sign up for Comicsology Unlimited. They have a lot of very cool original stuff on there right now. So definitely something worth checking out at the shops from Marvel though. Okay. Kind of a a very decent week, though, too. I mean, they do have the new Venom series that's coming out. Ooh. So I know they're on issue three of that. 
There's also the Trial Magneto number five, so oh, yeah. that's picking up some steam too. DC Comics Nightwing eighty seven. Enough said. I mean, yeah, it's Tom Taylor. I Stop mean, there. Yeah, and the stuff that he's been doing that book, like you've said too much. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> no, but no. In all honesty, that's all you really need to say. What he's been doing with that book has been nothing short of fantastic work. And really, if you have not picked up his run, you need to go check it out. And like I say, the art, the artwork going on too with this book is absolutely top shelf too. Like I can't stress this enough. Everything that has been involving this book has been nothing short of win win. So definitely make sure to go check it out. Bruno Redondo has been killing it on that book, too, with the art. So you need to get familiar with it if you're not familiar with it. And, of course, we have to plug some parlay points. Because this week, my personal favorite book from Valiant this year, and I know that's saying something since I review them all the time. This is true. Harbinger number three is hitting the shelves. Okay. So if you have not gotten onto this book, I can't stress this enough. They are doing some really, really fun stuff in, with Valiant in this comic. And to see where this could all lead to is anybody's guess. I know they have a huge year lined up for next year. But Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Robbie Rodriguez on the art. Holy shit, man. This is some very cool stuff. I am showing Pad as I'm talking because I like to see Pad's Ooh. honest-to-God reaction Those are nice. when I show him this. That's nice. So if you're not caught up to date on the life and times of Peter Stanchek, a.k.a. The Harbinger, get familiar because when this book is dropped, I thought it was going to be a hit. Is definitely lived up to my expectations. I give it the highest possible recommendation. And if you're not onto what Valiant's onto, I can't stress this enough. Get into it. They just opened up Discord, too. So oh, they got cool. a lot of cool information coming out there as well. They, they're releasing stuff left and right. Like, Valiant's killing it right now. And not to be outdone, too, we got to give a shout-out to Boom Studios. House of Slaughter number three is out. So if you are a fan of Something is Killing the Children, and you should because I'm now getting into that book, and wow, that is a very, very dope comic out right now. House of the Slaughter is a spinoff from that as, as well, and it is definitely lived up to the expectations. So much win is going on right now with Boom Studios as well. A lot of cool projects they have coming out, and especially, like, I know we talk Power Rangers a lot. The Altarian War has been crushing it, but House of Slaughter, number three. If you're not familiar with, get familiar with ASAP. Three issues out. Definitely all are worth checking out. Any more comic recommendations, hit me up on Twitter at ODParlayHour. I would definitely have them. And definitely this holiday season, support your local comic shops. Go get your pull list. Do not leave them hanging during the holidays. And definitely support your independent comic podcasts as well. That all being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout at the robots. They're awesome. I can't stress enough. They're big comic fans, too. Okay. Pad, if I want to find out more about them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Everything going on with Brian Wolf, who's actually in the 607, who has gigs lined up all week, I think, from the way it sounded like. It's just according to his social media. He's playing a lot of places. Popular dude. He is. We're hoping maybe we'll get him to do a soundbite. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's see. You can also check out everything going on with Floodlands, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Second Suitor, all the amazing groups you hear on the ODPH. They're so amazing, I probably named them twice. I don't even care because they're that fantastic. You can find out everything about them. Go support them if you want to get some cool music for the holiday season. I can't stress enough. Any one of those musicians are worth checking out. Also, swing by the directory. Where, Pad, how many places are the ODPH on? Uh, like 16,000. 
Yes, and we're adding more and more links. So when we're hearing about like, hey, are you on this podcast provider? I'm usually saying, let me go check. If we're not, we're adding that link onto the directory. So right then and there, you can hit follow. You are subbed. You will not miss a minute of content. And the subscribers are going up right now too, so we can't stress that enough. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for that. So that being said, too, you got to check out the classifieds, friends of the show, organizational links, supporting Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in via their pod chaser pages. Because I say it once, I say it a thousand times, and I mean it every time. Damn it! If your group is not on pod chaser, you're not in a group. I'm just saying. So of course, shout out to the inner circle. Shout out to the apocalypse. Adding new members all the time, getting ready for those pod rates, kicking off in January. And of course, last but certainly not least, shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast and the fam over at 8122 Productions. Big year lined up for them as well, so you definitely want to get on board with what they're doing over there as well. The T Public Store. New designs are out. The Pads Dealing shirt. You know you want to get a copy of that. Yeah, you do. You know you want to get the new workout gear, so to speak. If you haven't checked it out, you need to go check it out. Find out what I'm talking about. Part of the club shirt. All that and so much more is at the T Public Store. Go get that ASAP. All that. So much more. Parlay points. God, the blogs are dropping left and right. There's so much that you just need to go to ODPH Podcast yourself and check it out. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Pat one j Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. I'm... Thank you, as always, and happy holidays from all of us here at the ODPH Podcast. Your support means the absolute world to us. We wish you all a safe and happy holiday season. And thank you for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Merry Christmas, you bastards. Yeah.